this podcast. Did you sleep well, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I slept okay. Okay. Well, today is Monday, August 30th. We're almost through August 2021. And finally, I know a lot of people are... They've been anxiously awaiting... Anxiously awaiting our deep dive into Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to start off the episode by saying, okay, campers, rise and shine. And don't forget your booties because it's cold outside today. What is this, Miami Beach? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I think... Uh, I guess I'm a little bit hesitant to ask, but is there anything other than this that's on your mind that we need to say before we jump right in? You know, I I mean, w- there's more absurdity and more things with current events and things going on, but I actually was was I was gone quite a bit last week. I was off the internet for a lot. So that's good. So your mind is now yeah. sufficiently calmed. I I was uh, walking over here, and there was uh, somebody out walking a dog, and they were playing, like they were listening to some talk show or something on their phone, and I was thinking, man, that's kind of annoying. You're out walking your dog, and you're listening to a podcast or something like that. I mean, now- Was it the Mind Virus it show? It wasn't the Mind Virus show, so that's, I think, why I took a little bit of offense, but uh, <laughs> no, we were, uh, we were out hiking- um, a mountain out here in along the Wasatch front a couple of months ago. And there was a whole group of people that were trooping along with a, a bunch of music blaring from somebody's backpack. So they of course had a nice speaker, rechargeable speaker. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, we have to, do we have to take, we can take it with us. We can take the oh, world. Yeah. We can take the world with us. And Disconnecting, we've talked about this before. What, how hard would it be for us to even go without our cell phones for a few days? But yeah, I, I, uh, I'm consistently taken aback by that, you know. And, how, and it's yeah. not just them, it's me too. I'm, I'm consistently well, we all do plugged it. in. I've been out in the mountains a bit, and you know, people have these big camp trailers. Yeah. And they're really nice. And I've, I've poked my head into a few of them with with some acquaintances and friends that own them, and and inside they've got television hooked up to a satellite. Yeah, they have microwaves, they have you know soft beds, and 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 those are great. But in my mind, that's like, well, that's not camping. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I do. I I've done a lot of camping on the ground in a tent, whatever in my life. But I'll tell you, having a trailer, there's three things I really like having this having the bed having a shower and then a refrigerator is really helpful oh they're great (laughs) the trailers are awesome and i've looked into maybe maybe even getting one myself (laughs) i mean they cost uh, a lot a lot of money a lot of arms and multiple legs they cost uh, and oftentimes they'll cost a lot more than the truck that's hauling them yeah but uh yeah they're they're neat i don't but they're not camping it's a different thing. Would you call it glamping? And not even that. It's more. It's like it's hoteling, mo- mobile, mobile homing. hoteling, it's, it's, uh, motelling. <laughs> again, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I think you know. 
I think that the, that there's a, a huge advantage. And if it's getting people out there and, and off the, at least off the, out of the urban jungle that we live in and the sprawl, we don't really live in an urban jungle here. We live in a sprawl, which is sprawling rapidly. Well, most definitely in the last 20, 30 years, it's become standard equipment in RVs to have sound systems and Bobby's over there sneezing. Bless you. <clears throat> wow. Is that a COVID reaction? Um, it's Don't worry. I'm triple, I'm quadruple, triple vaxxed. vaxxed. I have, I have both Pfizer's, both Moderna's, four J and J's just to be safe. And I smuggled in some AstraZeneca and I also took so a bath like a, in zinc and I drank some bleach. So, so I'm you're good. a card carrying member of what I now call the VLDS church. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say the the. You okay. can say the VLDS. You can say VLDS. Whatever you <laughs> That's want. Good. But That's good. Uh, three guesses as to what the V stands for. Well, the, the I will say this. The last couple of weeks have put the church into disarray. The church membership, because on the one hand you have this letter, right, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Now, more recently, you've had Elder Holland's address at BYU. We are getting to Groundhog Day here pretty soon. Just, just, and to be clear, it. It, but those things taken together, I think, have caused a rift in so there cognitive was, dissonance. There, there was the letter from the first presidency, and then there was another one? Well, there was an address that Elder Holland... Have you not heard about this? No, I haven't. Okay. We'll have to have a conversation off the air. But he gave an address at BYU to faculty and staff, kind of a kickoff address. And of course, Oh, like a school year, new yeah, school year? Yeah, yeah. And of course, these things are published and broadcast, so you can yeah. watch the speech on YouTube. And he he counsels for a course correction at BYU, uh, particularly about the what he calls the parading and flag waving to do with same sex activism. Act, oh, like the Leighton Seminary was doing, yeah, Leighton High like School, like that. And and of course at BYU. It's been quite a issue. You had the Y lit up in the rainbow colors somehow. Really? You didn't hear about all of this? I forget sometimes that you live in a cave. I live in a cave. That's true. <laughs> you live in Jordan Bruno's cave. Yeah, it's Bruno's a, cave. Well, I don't. I don't want to get too. Of a man named I don't. Ether. I don't want to get too deeply into all of that because it's a completely different conversation. But the point is that. Well, that's why we have these conversations. That's the podcast is us catching up. That's sure, sure. And and you, but we, as we, you we, listeners know, we don't script this. We like talk for five minutes and then we say, "Ah, screw it, let's go." Well, that that speech com- has com- has of course caused a lot of hard feelings over the LGBTQ. Yeah, plus conundrum. you can just say plus plus because I don't know how many other letters there are now. Let's just do but L. Because what's interesting, though, about it is what his his speech. His speech was rather benign. This is Elder Holland, and and you know Elder how how Elder Holland talks and how he teaches. He's very emotional at times. He's a lot of bluster. He's, he's compassionate. I don't even. I wouldn't call it bluster. I would just say he likes to use bluster metaphors. No, he's not blustering. You don't like. Okay, what's the definition of bluster? Is that it just it's the way he speaks is just sort of 
emphatic. Is that is that better? Can I can I say emphatic? Yeah, I would say emphatic. Blustering would imply somebody who it's hollow, who doesn't really know what they're saying. Or oh, okay. I I think Elder Holland is a sincere. Okay. Well, you are the the teacher of arts, <laughs> language, and pronunciation in the omniversities. So anyway, what he said is hardly controversial your... for a religious figure speaking yeah. to a religious school, right? And yet it's causing a lot of controversy, which proves his point, proves yeah. that what he said, I think, was necessary. But it's causing, predictably, a lot of problems, a lot of controversy, just as the letter did. And so you have a church membership, particularly here in Utah and I think in the Intermountain West in the United States, where people pay attention to BYU a little bit more than elsewhere. It's causing a lot of division. And the church as a whole, I think, is really a divided, it's a house divided right now. And we all know the end of the saying, right? A house divided cannot stand. There you go. See? Yeah. I know all of while. our listeners at the same time. It took all a while, but cannot stand. Yeah. I was just thinking about the war between the states, but keep going. Well, that's just, that's the, <laughs> and how many, and how many states are required for a union of states? <laughs> Well, <laughs> is it 50 or is it 49 or is it 38 or is it 13 or is it three or one? No, it's not one, but two makes a union. Well, here we are uh, again, August 30th. And right. And just to just to the, the world's in disarray. Yeah. We, so we'll have we to talk that. about the, the Holland issue here. And did, did he say anything about the vaccines? No. OK, that's too bad. So the best description that I've read in some obscure article. I can't remember who wrote it. But the guy described the situation where people are arguing over that, that subject matter. And then he lumped in the BLM stuff. And he called it the incendiary buffooneries of race and gender. I, know, I have never one. heard it described better than that. <laughs> that's a good uh, I mean, th they, description. They're the most pointless things to be arguing over. We've been over the race issue, at least in most of America, for a long time. And the gender issue, <laughs> well, right. that's a buffoonery. Right. You know. And it's all designed, and we've touched on this. Yeah. It's designed to divide us. It's designed to make us angry at each other, to resent one another, to fear one another, to blame one another. Because a house divided cannot stand. And right. you've made the argument, and I tend to, to agree, that we're being set up for catastrophe, an avalanche. We're being divided in our—that's th what's been so effective about the whole COVID thing is we're divided down to the neighborhood and family level. There are people in your family you probably haven't seen in a long time. We've got that going in on my, on in my family where there's a little bit of apartheid going on because— one half that's, is bought into this. That's common. That's yeah. common. Families are being ripped apart over all right. of these issues. And what's the most basic support structure for humanity, for mankind? The United States government. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that was the answer I was looking for. <laughs> well, anyway, you as families and you as, uh, you know, new, maybe you're forming new bonds with people you didn't realize you'd have common beliefs and, 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 uh, the need to commonly support each other as we struggle through this mental apocalypse right now that's quickly right. Qu swiftly moving into a uh, 
a physical apocalypse. I mean, you you texted me the the video of the guy. They caught the guy in Australia. Oh, yeah. The guy that escaped. Australia is safe. <laughs> they caught the guy that that was sneezing in an elevator in Australia, and they walk they they perp walked him, paraded him through the in lobby, full like hazmat. Everybody's in hazmat, and then they have a reporter who's asking him, "What do you think of all these people laughing at you?" and and he's like, I was, I was isolating the whole time, man, mate, mate. I was, I, I was, I was, mating, time, I was mate. mating the whole time, mate. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was the most absurd, surreal Salvador Dali version of a, of a news story yeah. that you've ever seen. I mean, that well, people actually are cheerleading this type of behavior. Australia is building quarantine camps. Well, wh- who How knows quickly if that was- does quarantine become concentration? That's what it is. Pretty quickly. That's what immediately. Right. I had a or a friend who who's a listener of the podcast. He 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 was uh, reviewing some of the Angela Dunn comments. Now Bobby, by the way, got blocked by Angela Dunn finally, so you can't even see her feed, right? No. You're gonna have to form a new Twitter. Un, yeah, I just want you to know, Doctor Dunn, that it's easily I, I can easily go around your block. We okay? can see what you're saying. I can log. I can go onto Twitter without being logged in. But it's really not worth my time to see your balderdash. Yeah, and that's... Oh, I got to remember to point out something. See, there was two things I got to point out. First of all, this listener of ours, loyal listener on the podcast, he read that and he texted me and he said, you know, I'm not on Twitter, but if I were on Twitter, because she she was... Dunn was out there asking, well, you you know, in this... (laughs) Silly contrived situation where on, where they've set up an echo chamber where only the people that like her are allowed to talk and comment and everyone else is getting kicked off. And then so she asks her, her little choir, well, what what's wrong with what we're doing? Why don't people like what yeah, we're doing? Why, why as they've just anybody I mean, trust us? As they've thrown mud in the face, stepped on and pushed down everybody else. Well, why doesn't anybody like us, you know? And so then they're getting all these sanctimonious responses. A few. A I want to point the, out that I the non-player characters I were slipping comments in. My comments weren't like I didn't really insult her per se or do anything. I I was pointing out legitimate things like why don't you talk about natural immunity? Why don't you talk about age stratified risk? Why don't you talk about early treatment options? Why don't you talk about the comorbidity? comorbidities that are preventable like obesity why don't you talk about a good diet and exercise and sleep why don't you talk about why is it only vaccine 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 yeah, why has it always only been lockdowns isolation distancing masks vax 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 well we know why yeah because she's a she's a, a statist <laughs> she's a useful idiot yeah she's a statist and and she's just doing her job to help cement the, the new tyranny or the emerging tyranny but She's asking, well, why why are people so opposed to all these things? And it was sort of bordering bordering on a discussion on mandates. And so this friend of ours, this podcast listener, a friend of the podcast. Friend of the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. He said, you know, I'm not a... (laughs) Yeah, he's a first-time texter. He said, you know, I'm not a Twitter user and never have been. And if I was... Get on you, mate. If I was, I would say to Mrs. Dunn, you know, the difference between love and rape is consent. (laughs) Right. Right. There it is right there. Well. 
and and one more thought from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who uh, was the writer of Gulag Archipelago. It appears that we're quick, we're quick uh, evolving into a medical gulag, especially in places like Australia, where they're hauling off or New Zealand these people in broad daylight, and yeah. they're not fighting back very much. I mean, that's they're going to cause a shooting war. They're going to cause a shooting war. There have been protests in Australia, and those people out there protesting are getting beat, literally beat with clubs, sticks, and, yeah. and dogs are chewing on their wrists and. Like there's a huge rally in Greece overnight and the Australians were talking about blocking their highways. They did. I believe, I don't know. Well, there was, there was a pre block that happened yesterday that hit zero hedge. Supposedly they're supposed to be the big block today. So we'll see what the news is, but what, what that is, is that truckers are parking perpendicular, you know, horizontally on these highways, stopping the delivery of goods, basically going on strike until the government stops all the madness. And so there are people in, in Australia fighting back. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I think they might be a minority. And I think too many people in both Australia and New Zealand legitimately believe that the governments out there are looking out for them and doing the right thing and protecting them from this horrible, horrible virus that somehow continues to cause lockdowns, even though they've quote, defeated the virus. Right. It can only go on so long. You're getting to the point now where you're seeing even this stuff seep through even into popular culture. Like, for example, Eric Clapton produced a song entitled This Has Gotta Stop. It's not bad. It's not bad, actually. Yeah, I go out and... We'll link to it. Yeah. But he, you know, he he came out and said, I'm not going to require vaccine passports Well, he was vaccine injured. He was vaccine injured. So that's why he he decided it, it changed his life. Right. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move his hand. Right. Which he depends on for what he loves to do, which is play well, the guitar. He's only one of the greatest guitar players ever. Like him or not or whatever, he's very good. Right. You're understating it. This is Eric Clapton. Right. <laughs> Tears in Heaven. Layla uh, Cream, right? Yeah. He, he fronted Cream. He, uh, it's Eric Clapton. It's Eric if you Clapton. don't know who if Eric you Clapton is, you're listening to the wrong <laughs> podcast because we talk a lot about music. Well, anyway, let's get back to Solzhenitsyn. Easton. he says, I believe, and I can't, I, I'd have to go find the quote, but he basically made a comment. I don't think it was in Gulag, but it was later on as he was uh, freed and was able to talk about it. He said, "We, you need to just ignore... Now, this is hard because you don't want to tell everybody to do this. The, the, there needs to be a public uprising. But his opinion was, you've got to ignore what's going on at the national level because they are just distracting you. You need to live your life. And so I think, you know, politics local or close to home are easier to influence, and that's where people need to get involved. And so the, you know, if if it's your state epidemiologist that you have to continue to annoy... (laughs) That's probably a better place to start than in a national level, and then and and making sure that in our communities we don't do stupid things like ban guns. Make sure you're supporting Second Amendment Second Amendment sanctuary resolutions and good people in law enforcement in your neighborhood, in your at your local police department. That's the big deal. Stuff that's happening in Salt Lake is almost you know we're we're in the Salt Lake, of course, is the capital of the state of Utah, and I, th- I think we Utahns can have some effect not to care a little bit about what's going on down there, but it's almost a lost cause in a lot of ways. Right. So what can, <clears throat> what can you do 
you can create, and this is what's been so amazing about the evil genius of the COVID tyranny rollout is they've been able to destroy familial friend support structures and we're needing to create new ones where we find people of like mind, kindred spirits, because the, you know, in, in a lot of cases, some of these people I know, their minds are just gone. They're gone, you know? And the only thing we could do is have a, uh, a fist fight or something over it. I literally, you've got people who believe the lies coming out of the mainstream media and people who don't. <laughs> And how do you solve that problem when it's it just devolves to name calling and liar liar pants on fire, and they're able to ostracize you from the agora? It's a, it's a tough situation. So maybe you could sit down and invite them to movie night. Well, I got watch, a que- I've got a question for you. Jordan. Watch a movie, Jordan. Do you think it'll be in early spring? Yes, I predict March twenty first. March twenty first. <laughs> okay. Good guess. I think that actually is the first day of spring. <laughs> Are you reading the script or just going from memory? I'm looking at the script. Did well, you, ground, <laughs> Groundhog Day. It, <laughs> did you sleep well, Mr. Like, Connors? I slept alone, Mrs. Lancaster. Oh, that was the answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't realize. Now, Bobby was a film student in a, in a film prof- and is a film professional. He's a professional. He's what you'd call a professional. Don't try this at home. I'm an expert. An expert. <laughs> he has some experience with the movie Groundhog Day. And why don't why don't you just tell us Well, I've watched it a lot. What's what's the deal with Groundhog Day? My experience with it is that I watched it a lot and I wrote a paper on it a long time ago in school. Why did it, you why did you watch I, it a lot? Well, I had an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> That's to, why you to write it. a paper, and we could choose two. We had to choose from two different texts, right? Texts are sources. One needed to be a movie. One needed to be something else. So I wrote a paper called "Heaven and Hell and Groundhog Day," and my text was Groundhog Day, and the secondary source text was No Exit, the play we mentioned last okay. week. Primarily, I've never seen that. Primarily, it was Groundhog Day. And so for a few weeks, I was watching Groundhog Day repeatedly, Every day. <laughs> multiple times. And, and, and I had a pretty good setup for being the late 90s. I, I had a laptop that would play DVDs. So I would have the DVD playing or up on the laptop that I was typing the paper on. And so I could quickly rewind or whatever and make sure I had quotes right and but that was a long time ago. That's pretty amazing, man. It was a long it was time probably ago. Probably an expensive laptop. I don't think it was. Uh, maybe for the time in the late nineties, it was probably it was, as large as a suitcase. It was quite big. It was one of those Apple laptops that had like the copper keyboard on it. The, really? Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, I had a in college. I had a word processor, so it was the size of a suitcase. Right. And it would store about two hundred and fifty-six pages. Yeah, and that was it. I had to delete stuff. But uh, Groundhog Day is an amazing movie. There's a lot going on in Groundhog Day. Why? Why do time loop movies interest us? What's the deal with a time loop movie? Is Is Groundhog Day the first time loop movie that you're aware of? I'm sure it's not, but well, I, what, no, uh, that you're aware of. Are you aware of any others 
Can we think of a time loop movie prior to Groundhog's Day? Let's see. Groundhog, Groundhog Day, Day was made in 1992, I think, 1993, somewhere in there when it came out. Um, is Back to the Future a time loop movie? No, I wouldn't call it that. So I'm sure there's there are, but I can't think of any off the I've top got of a my list. head. Now, Wikipedia, of course, is you're taking your life in your hands when you start to trust Wikipedia. But... I've got, on their list, they've got several movies before Groundhog Day that I've never heard of. The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. There's Yuresi Yatsura 2, Beautiful Dreamer. Mirror for a Hero. I think these are all Oriental. Okay, this is a Soviet film, Mirror for a Hero. The first two, I think, were Oriental movies. Then you've got 12.01 p.m. in 1990. And then 12.01 in 1993. And then Groundhog Day in 1993. So Groundhog Day clearly is the most well-known of these movies. Groundhog Day has been so uh, influential that when nowadays we will use that term groundhog day to describe something that's repetitive oh man it's like groundhog day it's kind of ruined the holiday but such as it whatever it ever was which isn't much i think it's no coincidence and this may not have have anything to do with your paper but i think it has to do with the podcast it's no coincidence that they named it groundhog day and did it on groundhog day some some of our listeners are are aware of or have read material like uh, the book Hamlet's Mill. Are you familiar with that Mm-mm. book? It's a book by a guy named DeSantiana and a lady named Van Durken. These these were historians of science, and they r- wrote about the origins of human scientific knowledge. And when they got back into the ancient cultures, they realized that they were not simpletons they were actually great astronomers and they had a a view of time as cyclical and in the ancient cultures they observed i mean this is a broad generalization but they observed in a lot of cultures eight sacred points during the year those were the solstices and the equinoxes right those are clearly astronomically significant days and then they observed what the Celts called the cross quarters, which is the points in between. And we've talked about these festivals before here on the podcast. Groundhog Day happens to be the ancient Celtic feast of Imbolc, which means in the belly. Okay. It was about a pregnant bride. And on Imbolc, that the, the woman was accompanied by a bunch of a troop of hedgehogs <laughs> and so this this festival kind of gets explained away as a sort of a fertility festival everything everything seems in the ancient world gets seem, seems to get explained away as well it's just a fertility festival and they just wanted to have fruitful fields fruitful wombs lots of kids you know but Imbolc is important because it's a cr- cross quarter. It's Groundhog Day. It's it's the the beginning of spring. 
I think we've talked about this on the podcast too, right? That we've, we have modified our understanding of the seasons to where we'll say that spring starts on the equinox, but that's not the case. The, the, the equinox is actually the center of the three months we would call spring. It starts with Groundhog Day and think about the weather. Think about it. Think about the patterns. The hottest day of the year is the solstice. That's the middle of summer. Even though it's still hot into August and September, it's still the middle of summer is right, right there at the summer solstice. That's the longest day of the year. It's when the, the earth ha- accumulates the most heat and it's dead center of summer. It's not, it's not the beginning of summer. And we don't have summer, summer break start on June 21st every year. We start it at the end of May, right? At the start mm-hmm. of June, which is more corresponds with the, the traditional way that we talk about the seasons. Anyway, so in Groundhog Day, he, he says, are we going to have an early spring? Or the, the person asks him, are we going to have an early spring? And he says, well, I think it will happen on March 22nd or 21st March 21st I think is what he says which is this which is the spring equinox which on our calendars is the start of spring but it's not it's groundhog day and groundhog day again this is a long wandering explanation but the point is that it is a point it is a milestone on the great circular calendar of the ancients of circular time we repeat it every year and it precedes the new year the ancient new year which is the first day of spring on our calendars, the spring equinox, March 21st, generally. So the fact that this is a time loop movie and that they put they made the, the day, not just any day, but Groundhog Day, I think somebody knew something. And that's, that's another question as I'm rambling on monologuing while you're looking stuff up. <laughs> One of the things you got to ask yourself as you look into these, this movie symbolism is, do we have people who really know something here that are the writers, or is it an echo? And when you see them put a, a time loop movie on Groundhog Day, that somebody must somebody might have known something because it could have been any day. Well, it's interesting though because in the according to Wikipedia, the story is that Danny Rubin. Who original? Who was the original writer of the script? And then Harold Ramis came along and helped, and then directed the film. Chose Groundhog Day because it was kind of an obscure holiday, with this festival that took place. The the Punxsutawney festival that is a real thing in a real town called Punxsutawney, PA. And he thought it was a good obscure place and holiday to do this in. So he may have not, but that's well, the, the story. The, here's right? the thing. But, here's the thing. Inspiration is interesting, right? Inspiration we think of in the secular world as, you know, just a stroke of genius. But in the the rest of the world, the rest of the history of the world, people would think of inspiration as having come from the gods. And in the Greek mythology, there are these goddesses called the muses, right? And how, how much of your, in your film studies, do you run across people talking about in, being inspired by the muses? That's a common thing, right? Right. And I mean, yeah, and people try to try to claim that they can you know trap the muse or control the muse and I, I like the philosophy that the the best way to invoke the muse is to have your butt in your seat at 9 a.m working well meaning I, meaning the muse isn't we like to think of the muse hitting people while they're 
you know, the, the famous story, right, that J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter on in a, a, cafe. In a napkin. No you way. Know? No way. Maybe she had some ideas that she jotted down, but the... Harry Potter the muse, is far too explicit. The muse comes from hard work. Well, no, th- there's the... So the muse, the, the idea of the muse is that the, the writer was inspired versus actually having knowledge of the hero's right. journey. And it's the, real. The, or the hermetic system. It's real. Because that's, that's what I'm saying is, did some, do, do these writers consciously know something, in which I think J.K. Rowling and whoever she was associating with must have consciously known something the way they set up Harry Potter. You think about... There's this... There's this state of mind that often gets called the flow state and athletes talk about it where they don't even remember what they did on the field or they watch the tape back and they don't someone says what did how did you make that crossover move you know to a basketball player or whatever and I just didn't think about it I don't know I just did it and it it comes from years of work and training and Mm -hmm. repetition over and over and over and in the moment you your mind your sort of subconscious can take over subconscious and subconscious that can happen sub sub con, what? conscious subconscious yes because your conscience R- right not your subconscious subconscious okay, sub- no, I, I am the ta sub- i am the ta for the pronunciation you're class you're subcautious in the uh, omniversity <laughs> so i am bobby's ta as official but TA. when you're writing that can take over, and you can you can ha- you can suddenly look at the page and realize that there's four or five hundred words on there that, not that you don't remember writing, but you go back and read it and say, "Huh, that's interesting." Well, there's there's a phenomenon in the music industry that people call the demon ride. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. Well, some of these uh, artists will get up on stage and attempt to take a demon ride. That is, they want other worldly spirits to take over. It's a discussion for another day. How many? people actually have quote unquote sold their soul for rock and roll <laughs> but it's a re- that's a real phenomenon and there's been I- I've, I've watched documentaries on it it's interesting some of the christian evangelical groups will do I- interesting commentaries <laughs> on this i'm not saying i agree with right, all of it but right. they but they, they have a lot of research that they've done and put together well, material phil connor's is a newsman. He's a weatherman. And he has every year he has to go up to Punxsutawney to cover the Groundhog Festival. And he hates it because Phil Connors is a narcissistic, self-absorbed jerk. Well, if you know anything also about the news world, you have major markets and minor markets, right? And isn't yeah. he in Pittsburgh? He's in Pittsburgh. And that'd be like a minor, yeah, large minor market or something. And he probably aspires to be... I mean, they've set it up really well. He aspires to be somebody greater than just a... A Pittsburgh celebrity, a Pittsburgh, yeah, a, Pitt, a Pittsburgh weatherman, and in fact, the whole station, th- everyone he works with, sort of feels that way. They're all kind of like, "This is just a, a way stop on the way to stardom." Right, and wh- it's funny though because he styles himself as this great celebrity, and he loves it. And Bill Murray's perfect to play this part. Yeah, yeah, it's, he does a great job. He, it, it, what's so funny about Bill Murray though is he's almost got a smile all the time, like he's kind of got a half smile, right, most of the time, and. Everything is funny because it's Bill Murray, so it's hard to take seriously some of the, some of the suicide right. stuff and. <clears throat> well, so he goes to cover this event. They show up. It's cold. Now, the movie opens with him giving a weather 
forecast, and he says that the blizzard that's coming is going to miss Pittsburgh. It's going to fly right by us. Right. He makes a prediction. As weathermen do. And so the, the storm's not supposed to hit him. He finishes the broadcast. He makes sure his coworkers know that a major network is, is looking at me. Uh, you know. And off he goes to Punxsutawney with the cameraman Larry, played by uh, Chris Elliott, and the producer. His new, new producer. New producer. Who happens to be Rita. The beautiful Andy McDowell. Played by Andy McDowell. So the three of them get into the crappy production van, and off they go to Punxsutawney. They get there, and he stays. He's put up in a nice little bed and breakfast because he's a prima donna, as Larry points out over and over. And well, and Rita, his producer, understanding that, had set him up in a nice place while she and and Larry had a some dank hotel or what something. What he calls, I've stayed here before. I'm not staying here again. It's a flea bag. It's a flea. Bag. I'm not staying here. And. Rita says, you're not staying here. That's right. I'm not staying here. She says, I know. You're not staying here. I'm not? No. I put you up in a nice little bed and breakfast. So the bed and breakfast is where he wakes up every morning to Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe, and the radio DJs bantering. Yep. So he wakes up the first day. You know, he does the thing. He does the, the coverage of the event, they wrap it up, they get in the van, and they take off. He can't get out of there soon enough, even though the others are kind of like, oh, we should hang out a little bit. There's a party tonight. He's like, let's get out of here. Yeah. On the way back to Pittsburgh, the blizzard that wasn't supposed to hit Pittsburgh hits Pittsburgh, closes the road, and forces them back to Punxsutawney. Right, and As he, he's leaving, he can't believe it. He, he gets out of the the vehicle and tells the yeah. highway patrolman this, 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 is, the this is not happening this you see the, it's gonna the pressure from, from the south is gonna come up and you're gonna put, put the cold front out to the east and <laughs> fly right by us <laughs> yeah, he, he says the pressure's in your brain pal now you got two choices you can stay here and freeze to death or you can go back to Punxsutawney it's your choice this sounds a little bit like uh, Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo played the cop. Okay. So they go back to Punxsutawney, and that's when it starts. And so he he begrudgingly just jumps in bed. You know, he, he's sick of it. He's, he, doesn't any, wanna, he doesn't want to do anything. Is there any hot water, Mrs. Lancaster? Well, no, there wouldn't be today. <laughs> yeah, what's that all about? <laughs> it's just a podunk little bed and breakfast. Right. Can't have hot water on a cold day. So what, what causes, in your expert opinion, Bobby, what causes a time loop like this? Well, this is something that's not addressed in the movie. From what I've read is Danny Rubin, the writer, tried to he kind of wrestled with that maybe it's magic maybe it's something mechanical and he ultimately decided it doesn't, doesn't matter it doesn't need a cause it just needs to happen it'd be distracting to try to cause it and he I th- he says something like i think he it's says great something like he... not having a cause is relatable because all of us tend to wonder how Why? the heck did we get stuck here <laughs> yeah no that's that's a good point uh, it's interesting though because there are other time loop movies that we reviewed. Well, I did more homework than Bobby. I am. Uh, I want to remind. Honors, I am an honors I, student I, in the omniverse. I want to remind Jordan and our good listeners that you have a life outside of the podcast. It is the elk hunting season right now. 
What Bobby's saying is he has a life outside of the podcast. Not really. It's just elk hunting season right now. We do kind of fixate on this a lot, <laughs> don't we, during the week? So, <laughs> What, the podcast? The podcast. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, how else are we going to become omniverse celebrities that can go anywhere and stay and, you know, make sure that people put us up in nice bed and breakfast. I'm just wondering how we're going to get, I'm wondering how we're going to get popular enough to get kicked off of Instagram or, or Twitter at some point. Well, we're not on Instagram and Twitter. Can't get kicked off of something you're not on. He's pointing to his head. We are on Twitter, but I never use that account. Yeah. It's too much work. So you guys, the loyal listeners are the sole beneficiaries of the podcast right now. Anyway, there are other podca- there are other time loop movies that w- we were looking at here. And and there are a lot of them. I'll put a list up. I'll I'll put a link to Wikipedia's list of films featuring time loops because I know some of you are deficient at googling well, here's, and can't get the first Here's result. something interesting that so in these time loop movies, the person trapped in the time loop actually has a great advantage and in boss level boss level he's thrown into the time loop because and i won't give away too much because the the people that are involved know that he has a particular set of skills to take advantage of the time loop in order to stop Right, the Bo- boss level would be one to to analyze. There, all of these could, we could do episodes on because they have interesting symbolism that I I think is relevant. But they only work. These stories only work if the main character, the person trapped in the time loop, can remember day to day while no one else does. If they, if the time loop character, if Phil Connors woke up every morning and not realizing it's not a time loop movie if he doesn't remember. Right, it wouldn't work. The story wouldn't work. It might, that might work. that might be an interesting experiment to to write a story or do a movie on somebody who doesn't remember, but that would be a little bit of a tragedy, sort of a that'd be rough. That's kind of more along, be a rough, along the lines of uh, like a waiting waiting for Godot. It's a, another. It's not necessarily a time loop, but it's a great. It's a beautiful little two man play. If you really want to, how do you spell Godot? G O D O T. It's a French. Oh, go dot. You mean? Yeah. If you want to really get the essence of that play, watch the production with Ian McClellan and uh, Patrick Stewart. Really good. That's a that's a I love that play because there's a lot of philosophy. These two idiots, these two kind of vagabonds, are on the side of a road, dirt road, and they're waiting for Godot. And they just repeat the same thing over and over again. They don't well, know it. It's not necessarily a time loop. It's just they're stuck there. They're ne- they're going neither forward nor backward. They oh, can't okay. take action on anything. And they have this debates about, you know, well, we, we need to go. Well, no, we need to wait. He's coming. And the uh, oh, that's interesting. It, it is. And they it was kind of a par- parodied in the in the uh, Christopher Guest movie, Waiting for Guffman, which is a great movie as well. Not a time loop movie but sort of an exercise in futility and absurdity, which some of these time loops also kind of address. Yeah, well, if you don't have your memory, that's that's a big issue relative to this world because Adam and Eve come here having forgotten everything. Right. And, But not everything. Well, they received tokens and signs in the Garden of Eden, apparently. But the... They were the, at the, a bit the, of an advantage, though. They remembered the pre-fall life. The Adam and Eve 
did they? Oh, they remembered the garden, but they were right, in, at right, least in right. the... They uh, remember the okay, garden. Okay, so in the Deuteronomistic story, in the Genesis story, the garden story, which Hugh Nibley said was a fairy tale and has done more damage to Christianity than... Okay, so I'll stop there. Third chapter of the book, I think he, Enoch the well, prophet, right. Enoch as a theodicy. I don't you think he was saying it that. never happened. I, I think he was... Anyway. Well, I... Well, okay, we can talk about that another time. <laughs> I have to go back and review his... Yeah, you do. His words. So, so ground... Groundhog Day, they don't explain, we kind of got off on a tangent here, but they don't explain why he's re- reliving the same day. But in the other three movies that I and Bobby had sort of looked at, and there are others, but I, I think these are some of the big, the biggest, most obvious time loop movies out there. And if we find any others, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about them. But uh, the other three were Boss Level, Palm Springs, and Edge of Tomorrow. Now, Bobby didn't watch Palm Springs or Edge of Tomorrow. And a warning to you listeners out there, if if you're intolerant of the F word, okay, that's the word, the four-letter word that people say a Pfizer. lot. Pfizer. <laughs> Pfizer starts with a P. If if you're not if you're intolerant of the word of the uh the word the F word, boss level and palm springs are R-rated movies and they make abundant copious use of the f word and palm springs is a little bit of a raunchy show not for kids at least the first the first half of it has some adult themes that they through, through comedy indulge in yeah so so i'm i'm just giving you a warning there boss level is is also quite violent and bloody it's so it's kind of video game violence though but which, it's which but maybe, it's still real it, it's still real people, people live action. Shot. I mean, it's it's not like a gory. It's not a gore movie, but it's it's so over the top. It's very video gameish, but they right. still are doing live real right. real live people and right. and all kinds of violent things. You've been so, warned. You've been you've been warned. Yeah, but in Boss Level, Palm Springs, and Edge of Tomorrow, it is explained why they're involved in the time loop. Yeah, as the as the film goes on, it is involved. And so, let me just really quickly tell you explain. why. In boss level, there's a device called the Osiris Spindle, and that is an overtly religious or esoteric symbol. And I, we won't get into it right now, but the Osiris Spindle is an overtly religious, ancient type of well, a his, symbolic thing. His key to unlocking the mystery is the lore behind Osiris and... And ISIS. ISIS. And oh, and another thing. Not ISIS K. Or ISIS. ISIS, ISIS being the, the consort of Horus, the, <laughs> the great e- goddess, Egyptian goddess, the great Egyptian goddess. Not wisdom. whoever it is we're bombing or allegedly bombing oh, it's such in a the shame. Middle East. Yeah, it's such a shame that they call that ISIS. ISIS is an, an incredibly important figure in mythology. She is the great wisdom goddess. Second only to well, the, the great level, mother Hathor. Boss levels. Two main characters are proto are types. Well, of. Groundhog Day's two main characters are prototypes of, and Palm Springs' two main characters are prototypes of, and Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, they are prototypes of that same right. masculine and feminine divinity. So. The, there's some things they have in common. Anyway, boss level, you've got the Osiris spindle. In Palm Springs, Palm Springs is, is it Andy Samberg? What's his name? Yeah. The, the comedic actor from Saturday Night Live and uh, 
one of his stupid funny movies is um hot shot <laughs> is that the the um evil knievel one yeah 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 i've seen that it's so stupid but it's, it's so stupid it's, it's funny that's that's the whole point right he that's his kind of humor he's sort of an adam sandler type so at Andy at Adam Sandler yeah. or a, a Adam I want to say Sandler M, M, from D, the 90s. I want to switch the the M and the N in his first and last name and call him Andy Sandberg. <laughs> it's Andy Sandberg and he plays opposite Kristen M- M- Milioti and uh I think they do a really good job. I liked I liked the movie. It's just a little bit raunchy. So <laughs> be careful parents out there if you're watching this stuff. It's uh, it was R rated, but in in that movie, Groundhog there's an Day earthquake. Is not. Groundhog Day is Groundhog Day is great. Fun. Yeah, and Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise is an Emily Blunt. That's totally family consumable. But <clears throat> in Palm Springs, it was an earthquake. There's an earthquake that occurs, and there's a cave, like a a cave of wonders that <laughs> that resets the day. And that's kind of interesting. In, in that movie, they go, they they continue their day as long as they can stay awake. So if they fall asleep, they reset. Or if they die, they reset. But they they go, in some cases, they are able to go as far as, you know, a foreign country because they're just trying to get away and trying to stay awake. But... Another interesting aspect of the movie Palm Springs is that Andy Samberg's character is not the only one in the time loop. Right. These other ones are just a single person caught in it. Yeah. The Edge of Tomorrow. Well, everyone's caught in it. They just don't know yeah. it. They don't know it's occurring. Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is the only one caught in the time loop currently, but his love interest has previously been caught in the time loop. And the time loop is caused by space aliens. And the aliens involved are called the Alpha and the Omega, <laughs> another overtly religious. Oh, I thought you were referring to COVID variants. Nope, we're referring to the first and the, the last Alpha and of the, the Omega Greek, of the Greek alphabet, also a title of Christ. Right. And in this case, he he is able to repeat the day, which is important because he ends up dying while having the blood of the alpha merge with his blood and this creates a situation where he repeats the time the time loop and is able to save the world but the language in edge of tomorrow it's just it's very much an action movie but but there's these these certain references to cleansing and refinement and fire and baptism by fire or the crucible of fire or whatever it's it's almost in your face more so than the other three right movies so anyway i've I've, I've sidetracked you on do do we know why the day is reset in groundhog day and we don't we don't but we know it's always reset before six o'clock when we hear sunny and shares you've got i've got you babe you've got me babe i've got a babe one thing that was never addressed in the film would what happen if he had stayed stayed awake until 6 a.m. and that's never it's almost addressed. Yeah, they always fall asleep. Yeah. Just barely. She stays with him one night to try to see what happens. Well, he always he always wakes up. It 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 
I mean, I could conceive of a situation where he stayed awake. He just fall. He he's just forced to sleep. Right. Right. Right then. And we also we don't know. We don't know. In boss level, we kind of know how many because in video game style, it says you know attempt two twenty four. Yeah. We have no idea how long Phil Connors was trapped in this. I mean, it could have been years upon years upon years. It could have been a century. We don't know. I, I think I'd read about one concept was to actually point out that he was there for 10,000 years. Yeah. <clears throat> well, he becomes such a good pianist and having attempted to become a good pianist, it could have been 10,000 years. Well, he, and they show that a lot of time does progress because he becomes an, uh, a world renowned expert at everything, uh, everything. Basically he uh, speaks French, French poetry. <laughs> he, he's an ice sculptor. He's a pianist. He yeah. uh, is a doctor. <laughs> now, now this is what, what, one of the things that I think is, uh, sort of an absurdity when you really start to think about it in Groundhog Day is that at the end, everybody knows him. The town falls in love with him. But he's only had one day for that to happen. So it's a little bit of a stretch that they could know, they well, could love him that well only, in one they've day. They've only had one day. Yeah, but they but yeah. But he does things the reason that happens is because throughout that day Is it really conceivable though? Well because I think they have a little residual memory. That's all I'm saying. Well, there is one point there's one point where Andy McDowell says, This is all so familiar when they're like dancing or something. Right, and right. Because he's done it a thousand times with, with her in, in you mm-hmm. know, trying to win her over and failing and getting there's a great montage of him just getting slapped by her by her <laughs> over and over and over. But I think what the reason the town comes to love him is that over the course of his one day with them, you know, there's there's that line in boss level where his female counterpart says how long did it take and he says just one day just one day (laughs) he's not he's not wrong no (laughs) but he phil connors has has been there so long that he can maximize that day into where he has profound experiences with all of these people and that some of that's portrayed like he he saves the mayor who is his real life brother by the way Oh, I did the, not that know act, that. That actor who plays the the mayor is oh. he the the one that gets uh, something caught in his throat? Yeah, and, and he, he comes the he comes in and, and saves him from choking. He 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 saves the young couple's. Oh, marriage. his name is Brian Brian Doyle Murray yeah. Buster. That's his brother. Yeah, <laughs> and he plays in a he has little bit parts in quite a few Bill Murray movies. So Bill Murray didn't take the Doyle dash part of the name. Yeah, I don't know where that where that comes hmm. from but maybe he maybe that's just to draw a distinction between the two but he you know he saves the young couple's marriage he catches the kid falling from the tree and he says you know every day every day and not once not once have you said thank you <laughs> yeah that <laughs> and, is funny and that's kind of an interesting little line when I mean, you think about who else pointed out that people who whose lives were saved didn't say thank you there's a parable right in the new testament mm-hmm um, but we're probably getting ahead of ourselves because we've, we've well, we're kind of giving it where he starts to figure things out. We're ge- yeah, we're ge- we're giving kind of process. a broad overview, talking about some of these themes that are interesting. I do find it interesting that the town knows him. I think there's more, more to that, or, or you know, is there some residual memory? Is the the fact that his refinement does that does that improve the relationships over? Well, he does over the iterations. He he the way he. Because it just seems like you can't, you can't the, even even the greatest among us couldn't have that kind of a relationship in one day. 
but he has a lot but more than one has. day. He's had years and years and years. I know, but they haven't, right? Right. Theoretically. But, but I think what happens is he develops a type of charisma that is instantly engaging. Okay, well, let's let's stop there. Let's go back. Let's go back and... and because now we're, we're getting towards the, the themes right. of what, what really right. is the purpose of this right. loop. So wh- where do we go back to? We were just talking well, about... Well, he's trapped in the loop. And the why, first, why is there the a loop? The first few times... We can't figure it out. first few times he's confused and trying to, you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Well, how many times does it take for him to realize he's stuck? Like two like or three? Two or three times. It's like, ah. Oh. And so b- him being a narcissistic jerk, he looks at ways he can take advantage of the situation situation so my favorite of these is when he shows up at the movie theater fully dressed in his cowboy duded out outfit with the the date in her french maid outfit i thought you said we're going to a costume party and he don't bother me (laughs) he does it like a clint eastwood yeah i told you what did he say i told you he called me bronco And then they go into watch. He the goes movie. to buy the ticket. And he goes, uh, one adult, and uh, uh, he kind of looks at her. She goes, two adults. He goes, two adults, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he uses the situation to, to indulge himself, to lie, cheat, seduce, steal. Um, he, you know, he indulges his natural man. He uses it to. The first thing he does is he pretends to know Nancy, Nancy Taylor, Nancy. Yeah. From, you know... He uh, sees the, her in the diner. Yeah, he sees her in the diner. He asks her where she went to high school, who her English teacher was. Yes, he, he clearly is calculating, yeah. strategically uh, uh, calculating how he's going right. to get her into bed with him. And she's a little confused, and he walks away knowing that the day's going to reset. So then he sees her at the at the festivities. He's like, Nancy? Nancy Taylor? You look great. And, you know... They, right, and that little episode where he just brazenly asks her all these private questions and then walks away demonstrates he has realized that his con his actions seem to have no consequence they right. they appear to have no consequence well he sits in the he, when he really kind of realizes this, he's sitting with uh ralph and uh uh i can't remember the name of the other town kind of the town drunk town clown it's ralph oh, gus ralph and gus who uh actually utter some pretty pretty profound things at times but these are guys that are in the cafe. They're just kind of your blue collar, small steel town kind of guys who don't have much to, uh, you they're know, just are, regular are, simple just, guys. They're just there. They're not striving for much. But they're he, happy to go bowling, have, tr- have a beer, have they a go pizza. bowling and get drunk. And uh, Phil is the only one that's sober enough to drive, and he's driving with these guys and. And he kind of, they address that, you know, what would happen if your actions had no consequences? And Gus is like, that would mean we could do whatever we wanted. <laughs> and they do for, you know, they, they, they start driving around smashing mailboxes and uh, the cops are chasing them. They, they, you know, they lead the cops on this harrowing car chase, you know, along the railroad tracks. So they play chicken with the train. And in the morning, he wakes up and. You know, everything's reset. He goes down. He's like, Mrs. Lancaster, has anybody been here looking for me? Maybe gun, blue <laughs> yeah. hat. He's like, oh, no, he, no one like that. In that scene when they're running from the police, he says, I'm not going to live by their rules anymore. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that. 
Yeah, I noticed that. You make choices and you live with them. Oh, my knee. Let me handle this. Three cheeseburgers, two large fries. You know, they're out. And an order of flapjacks. <laughs> yeah. Too early for flapjacks? Yes. And, and that's kind of where it sinks that's when in. That's he, when he's talking to the cops. He says two cheese, three cheeseburgers, two large fries. Yeah. That's where it sort of sinks in that he can do whatever he wants. And so he goes on this spree. He He steals money from the armored truck he seduces very elegantly by the way right he has it all timed he has it all timed down <laughs> okay doris fix your bra all right <laughs> felix felix drop the quarters quarters everywhere and three two one and he just walks off and grabs yeah. the bag of cash and there's some small things that end up being kind of big things along the way like his his encounters with like uh ned Ned Ryerson, his old high school acquaintance, who approaches him every day annoyingly. You, you remember me? I'm Ned. Ned the head. Needle nose Ned. Come on. Bing. And he blows him off because he's incredibly annoying. And Ned never takes a hint, right? Tries to sell him, tries to sell him insurance and just get Well, Ned, up Ned's on him. persistent, yeah. Come on, you remember Ned? I dated your sister a couple of times until you told me to stop. Come on, <laughs> <Yeah>. Ned. <laughs> And there's also a homeless, an old homeless guy that he pretends to, oh, you know, he pats his pockets, oh, I'll get you tomorrow. And just little encounters like that throughout the town that at first just sort of add flavor to, to the repetition, right? But then later on become, become pretty significant. But he engages in this spree of wild behavior. Right. And it's interesting because, and you haven't seen Palm Springs, but it's interesting because Andy Samberg in that movie, let's see, what's the name of his, his uh, character's name is Niles and Sarah is his love interest. So Niles in Palm Springs, they they have these discussions because the the day is being repeated by the, the guy and the girl. And so they're talking about you know, they're kind of planning out how they're going to handle the day. And they have this discussion about how it is to, to take, how, how they don't want to die. They, they have to stop doing certain things because it sucks to die in an intensive care unit over, you know, a lengthy, painful death. You still have pain. And so uh, that, that's not something that's interest that's really addressed in Groundhog Day. He, he just seems to be living with reckless abandon. Right. And when that gets old and boring, he starts getting, you know, depressed, depressed right? and goes into this, this stage of despair where he, you know, that kind of kicks off with him kidnapping the groundhog. Day, well, he thinks he can kidnap the groundhog and get out of the loop. He's trying anything, right? Yeah. He kidnaps the groundhog and then drives off a cliff and explodes the truck and dies. Yeah. And kills the groundhog. And kills the groundhog in front of Larry. Larry films it. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> in front of Larry and Rita and the cops and, and, and his brother, Buster. And he goes through this this cycle of basically the belly of the beast, you know, the dark Jonah, the Jonah in the whale. He goes through this this period of despair where he just ends every day with some spectacular suicide where he jumps off the clock tower. He uh, puts a toaster in the bathtub. He uh, right. That's a funny. episode. Yeah. Would you like some? Toast. <laughs> he just walks <laughs> off with the toaster. He's in his uh, bathrobe. His bathrobe, yeah. <clears throat> and then the lights go out. I think there's. I'm trying to remember what there, there's a few depicted, right? And so he goes through this again, this undefined period of time where he's 
just committing suicide. And along the way, they have breakfast at the cafe. Now, what, what are, and before McDowell, we talk about the cafe, the cafe, the diner is a really important scene that's repeated over and over again. But what, what are some of the other phases he goes through? D- isn't there one where he's just kind of stuck so he's just vegging like he's he's watching jeopardy he's watching jeopardy with the people in the in the bed and breakfast and of course he's rattling off all the answers because he's seen that episode a hundred billion times and they think he's what is like titty caca (laughs) oh (laughs) and everybody you know yeah it just and then he starts saying it before he even asks the question poor mrs lancaster who runs the b&b and is always just sort of this sweet clueless lady she's just she's just flabbergasted and and yeah, he he goes through another. All the time periods are undefined, but there are indicators that it's been a long but time. But there's phases, right? So you've yeah, got the, yeah. the reckless abandon, no consequences phase. Yeah, I call that the seven deadly sins phase. You know, he oh, starts okay. with gluttony. He remembers just eating Oh, that's right. He, donuts he, yeah, he's just, in the cafe just getting yeah. whatever he wants. Yeah. There's gluttony. There's lust. There's uh, He never mur- really murders anybody. Do they? He steals, he steals the he money. He steals... He's, um, what are the deadly sins? I'm trying to remember now. Let's see. I'll have to look up what are the seven deadly sins. But all these phases are undefined as far as the length of time. Now, the movie's not particularly long. I think they could even made it a little longer and shown more of the despair, more of the darkness and the clawing the way out of that. Now, and I guess creatively, Bill Murray wanted to show more philosophical stuff, whereas Harold Ramis, who you know, even if you don't know, as Egon. Egon from the original Ghostbusters, who has since passed away, but uh, he played. Dun, 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 you know, he was he was Egon, but dun, 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 dun. he has a longer career. Who are you gonna call Egon? The Ghostbusters. He has a longer career as a writer director. Anyway, Bill Murray wanted to show more of the philosophical side of things, whereas Harold Ramis wanted it to be more comedy. And so there was some creative. Headbutting, I, I guess, according to some of the things I've read. But these undefined periods of time. Okay, so say that again. I was reading the seven deadly sins. Okay, what are the seven deadly sins? Well, first of all, you say that the the, the between Ramus and Murray, the, there the were some issue creative was, differences where Murray wanted it to be more philosophical, and Ramus wanted to show wanted it to be more of a comedy. Oh, uh, okay. And so there was some. But but okay. I think it does a good job of kind it does of striking both. a balance. Yeah, they they worked it out pretty well. The deadly sins are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth. So in your paper that you wrote as a college student, did you identify? The, I think the I did. Seven, you know, I wish I could find that paper. But do you think he you think he hits all of them? So I wrath. Think, do, do we see wrath? We kind of do. I when mean, he, it's like when Bill he goes Mur- after the the groundhog. That's yeah. kind of rage. Slothfulness, we see that. We we definitely around. see the greed, pride, pride, lust, gluttony, and sloth. Could be argued that pride, envy. pride, and envy were maybe built in at the beginning, <laughs> you know, with his yeah. character. But so so what what are the phases then? So he's got the 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 no consequences phase. You called mm-hmm. that the seven deadly sins phase. And then what what are some of the others? Well, then he goes into suicide, the depression, the depression. darkness, the suicide. And then after that, well, along the way through all of these phases, he's trying to seduce Rita. Rita is his ultimate prize. Yeah. He's, she's Why? The, well, he, he's 
I think he he's stricken by her first, lo- you know, love at first sight, so to speak, when he sees her at the studio before they go well, off. Well, doesn't he make like a snide comment about her at the studio? Something like like. I mean, he makes snide comments about everybody. He's a very cynical person who just cares about himself and thinks everybody's stupid. Think you know, thinks everybody around him is a rube and a hick, and that he's destined for bigger things. And this is just a way station for that. So he doesn't have any respect for Larry, the cameraman, even though he. I always want to say Larry the cable guy, but it's Larry the camera guy. Larry, Chris Elliott's character. You know, he's worked with Larry for. Who knows how long? Doesn't know anything about him, right? Has no respect for these guys, and and Larry takes it with, you know, a, 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 a you know, just kind of shrugs it off and counts it as just Phil being Phil. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, but for some for some reason, well, I think, I think at first he's just struck by, you know, Andy Mc, Andy McDowell's a pretty lady, and so he sees her and she's like, he's like, oh, that that's an attractive woman. Oh, and now she's my she's my new boss. She's my producer. Mm-hmm. And so right off the bat, he's kind of involved with in probably what today we would call improper workplace banter, but um, it just kind of shows his his, his character. The, the nature of his character is to treat people like just like objects and meat and, and a means to his ends. So, and I and maybe maybe there's a little bit of him kind of wanting what's unattainable, right? I think that it's in the end when he talks about, to her directly and says, you know, I've never met anyone as selfless and nice as you. Like he sees the purity and the, and the goodness in her in, in, in addition to her natural beauty, yeah, physical right. beauty, which, he, which is so what attracts her, him a, to her in the first place, right. which is why he can't have her. Sorry, I just knocked my microphone over. That's okay. This is an exciting movie. <laughs> so, yeah, underlying all of these different phases, He's trying to win her over, trying to seduce her in the beginning. And then he starts taking time to try to get to know her, but it's in this artificial checklist. There's a point where he's like, okay, no white chocolate. No she realizes fudge. that he's, he's working off of a checklist. Like, and she's what like, is, what is what going is, on? What is, you're making a list? Did you call my friends? Like, yeah. She picks up on it. He's like, no, no, this is real love. And, and then he... You know, but he's he, a real jerk to her at the first. He is. He is. Yeah, he's a real he, jerk to everybody. And he tries. He tries his you know inappropriate lines on her at, at, right up front. Right. But realizes she's too pure for that, and so then he gives up on it. But then when he realizes he's repeating the day, he's he's decided. Well, he, he's going to have to work harder to get her into bed with him. He does he, what he did with Nancy. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. She's too pure. And what's funny is that. He actually does get her to lie down with him at one point by confessing that he's in a time loop and she's willing to listen. She's willing to Is that where he says I'm a god, Rita? No, he he says that at the in the cafe. Yeah, but that's the is that the same day? He confesses to her, "Look, I'm I'm a god." And she's like, "Okay, let's Yeah, and he he let's, starts predicting all the things and he goes around and he 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 gives a little synopsis about everybody in the cafe. You know, this is Doris. She's worked here since she's 17. Her brother-in-law runs this joint. And yeah, and so she... She's so, always wanted to see Paris. So Rita He's is right. intrigued. Rita is intrigued, and she right. goes throughout the day with him and says, well, let's stay up. And, and, they, he, and they have a great day and you think he's starting to turn the corner this is kind of, well this is kind of i think where he does turn the corner on his calculating attempts to right. try and get her into bed well 
he he that he's given he's day, given up. He he confesses to her what he really is. But before then, in be, in between that day and when he starts to make actual progress, is the slapping montage because that the slapping that, comes before that day, that right? Perfect. No, because it's the end of that day. It's this perfect day where he tries to get her in bed and he almost does. And he's like, Oh, come on. I've got ice cream on the windowsill. He's got all her favorite things. Right. And yeah, but that's not the like, day he confesses to, I, to I being in the loop. I can't remember. It, I it's think a the, repetitive I think the movie. slap, <laughs> I think the slap fest comes before that because he finally the, gives up and he's like, I'm a God. I look, I don't know. They have this on great here. day and he ruins it at the end when he's like, no, she's like, I can't when he, she starts to see through it. Yeah, but that's not the day that he tells her what's going on. The I, day that I don't he, remember. The day that he tells her what's going on. I watched it yesterday, and I still don't remember. Okay, the day, I'm telling you, the day that he tells her what's going on, she, she cuddles up with him in bed, and then he wakes up alone because it was, it was a scientific experiment. There, he, hadn't, he hadn't learned what he was supposed to learn yet. That was, yeah, that was, well... I don't think she ever cuddles in bed with him oh, until she the does. end. She, no, she does. She says, "I'll stay with you till the end," and she says, "No, you, you're that's, not gonna." And that's the that's the final. No, that uh, there's one other time when they when they do that. No, they try to, and she ends up slapping him. I don't think so. She, she never spends the night with him until the end. She never spends the whole night till the end. Right, I'm pretty sure of that, because that was the. Because he, they have this perfect day, right? They go and they throw snowballs at the kids, and they, they. Uh, That's they not the same day. Well, I don't think no, it's not. I don't. That's think the it, one where she gets slapped, but, or she slaps him, right? But that's their long perfect day where you think everything's going to work out. But that's not related to the "I am a god" discussion. I don't. The "I am a god" discussion, I don't think, leads to that great day. I think that comes after all the slaps. When he just like puts it out there. Yeah, that comes after the slaps, and then she stays with right. him, but it still doesn't work. No, she doesn't stay with him. Yeah, she's in his apartment there. Like she's she's looking at it as like a scientific experiment, isn't she? Like she's like, okay, let's, because he has convinced okay, her. I think okay, maybe he you're con- right. He convinced her that she, he knew what was going on by by foretelling all of and the events. And that's when she flips over to midnight, and she's like, "You rascal!" And he's like, "I never said midnight." Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then let's see. We got to find this in the script. Yeah. You rat. I never said midnight. You knew I was waiting for midnight. Does this mean you're going to leave? Good. I'm sorry. It's all right. You can fall asleep. I promise I won't touch you, comma, much, he says. That's all right. I'm not tired, she says. What were you saying? See, they're, they're falling asleep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, where I think the last thing you, but, that you heard was only God can make a tree. Really, what I wanted to say was I think you're the kindest, sweetest, prettiest person I've ever met in my life. That's after all the slaps, right? Yeah, right. Okay, the, but this is the day. This is the scientific ex, uh, obser- observation day. I, I, you're the kindest person I've ever, ever met in my life. I've never seen anyone that's nicer to people than you are. The first time I saw you, something happened to me. I never told you, but I knew that I wanted to hold you as hard as I could. I don't deserve someone like you, but if I ever could, I swear I would love you for the rest of my life. She says, did you say something? <laughs> She's fallen asleep while he's confessing. Yeah, but isn't that the, I don't think he wakes up alone that morning. I think he does. Yeah. He says, 
she says, "Do you did you say something?" And he says, "Good night." And then the next line, and we, we're working from a, a terrible script here because it doesn't have. It's it's more of a copy of the subtitles, because the next line is, "Who wants coffee? Get it while it's hot." Thanks, Phil. This is th- see. He wakes up oh, and, yeah, and it he, shows him giving them coffee because he's the prima donna. But then yeah. then he, it flips to him getting up early and going out and right. making their. Let's lives get back easier. on track because now oh, our yeah, audience look, is bored. No, we, no, no. I think that's important. Oh my lap, my lap, my iPad just ran out of battery. Oh well, your host for the. Let's turn the episode off. Do you want to go get a? You want to go get a cable? No, let's just keep going. I'll use my phone. Okay, well, use my smaller iPad. Bra- bravely, bravely soldiering on. Bobby will use his phone here, but I think that that day is really important because that's the. Isn't that the turning point? That's the turning point. Well, it's one of them because I think. Well, there's the turning point from the seven the, seven deadly the sins slaps, episode to depression. I think were part of the turning point. Getting yeah. slapped by her over and over and over, he realized at some point he I, he he has this epiphany where it's like I've gone through. It's sort of like in boss level. So in boss level, he does the same cycle, right? And he goes through this belly of the beast of despair where he's just tired of doing the same crap, killing all the same people. His they have not, a diner scene in that one too, that, right. where he's always. That's like the respite. The and he goes through this thing where it's just like he lets the first guy that shows up kill him in the morning for some undefined. That's like the depression stage. And then he he realizes, should I? Am I going to do anything even when there's nothing I can do? And he's like, Hell yeah, yeah I am. So well, he well, Phil the, has the same i the same situation come over him where he realizes like. I've gone through all this crap. I've I've done the gluttony phase. I've done the, you know, the reckless phase. I've been depressed. Maybe I should try being a good guy. And I don't think it's something that just he decides to do. It just sort of evolves yeah. where he he starts he starts helping the townspeople. He well, buys insurance from Ned. He Well the 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 the, the Groundhog Day movie and I think also Palm Springs share the shares this same characteristic in that there's really no cosmic consequence other than being stuck in the loop in boss level and in edge of tomorrow the the they're caught in an obvious war like in boss level he's being hunted by the bad guys and he's being killed in edge of tomorrow there's there's the alien invasion that's going on but in both of those cases they still go through similar phases right the seven deadly sins phase or the uh, there are no consequences to my action phase really really aren't as pronounced in boss level and in right well boss level they in an edge of tomorrow they kind of combine them with with the depression phase because in both of those cases they Boss level and edge of tomorrow. Tom Cruise and Frank Grillo end up in bars, lamenting that they can't do anything about the situation. Right. They're just drinking away their sorrows. And boss level is very much based on the genre of video game called roguelite or roguelike, where you is this Grand Theft Auto? No, it's more like Super Mario Brothers, or where you you try to progress, and when you die, you start over. And you try roguelike pro- or light both. Both are used. Oh, okay. What's what, How would you classify Grand Theft Auto, which I've never played? Grand Theft Auto is an open-world RPG. Like, if you die in Grand Theft a, Auto... A rocket-propelled grenade? A role-playing game. <laughs> if you die in Grand Th- Theft Auto, you don't start over at the beginning of the level. Really? You just... 
die and you respawn and go get your stuff. Okay, whatever. so roguelike is when you're respawning yeah, at like the start. The classic are these side scroller games. So free 80s. guy, free guy then is an open RPG. Yeah, that's more like ground uh, Grand Theft Auto. Okay, so a roguelite, you you are you know uh, your hero, your character tries to progress through a level, and, and that's. That's groundhog. And it's repetition. It's, it's over and over. Yeah. And you you hope the idea is that each attempt you get a little bit farther. So Groundhog Day into the level. and Groundhog Day and Palm Springs are not like that, but Edge of Tomorrow and Boss right. Level are definitely. And Boss like Level that. makes that quite obvious. They even go to the arcade where they like to play the classic '80s side scroller games. Yeah. So same idea. Yeah, and that's an interesting aspect of Boss Level is that his part of his journey is connecting with his son right and and he plays that episode over and over again well the underlying theme of boss level is that the world needs good strong badass fathers to save the world right that's one of the really positive things about the movie boss level is that that is a blatant in your face sub subliminal message well, the, of the, the movie the i wouldn't necessarily call it the theme it's a pretty yeah, strong. Maybe it is the theme. I mean, she knew. She knew that he was. Had he had those characteristics. So, and the guy, the, you know, the main character in Boss Level is a, is a pretty good guy. It's it, from the beginning. He's just stuck in a really weird circumstance, and he uses his skills because he's former special ops. Yeah, he's not a bad guy, right? He's not the best guy, but he becomes the best guy. I would say that in even the even in the beginning, he's he's. He didn't abandon his family, right? Well, yeah, it was circumstances. He's a special ops. Special ops. Op I mean, in operator. the real world, the special op guys, their marriages are oftentimes just fall apart because it's hard yeah. to be a special ops guy who's being deployed every 10 minutes right. and to have a family. You know, I've, there's some sad stories if you look into the real right. world in that. And, but he, he's a guy who wants, you know, he's still in love with his estranged wife. He loves his kid, but doesn't get to see him very often. Yeah, and it's not until he realizes that the kid is in peril where he really starts to level up, so to speak. And right, he's trying to stay alive. Right, that's sort of his main motivation. And that's one of the differences in, you know, Groundhog Groundhog Day. Phil is never in any danger, external danger. Right, he doesn't have assassins hunting him. He's just in this podunk town trying to figure out how to get out of it. Right. And, and pain avoidance, that's, that's one of a significant motivating factor in this world. We do, we do things to avoid pain. Like it, what? it affects us. Like well, hide in our homes for a year and a half. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's funny because in boss level, he's being killed in all these creative ways. So he's, trying to avoid that pain yeah, he's they, like this hurts they, this hurts yeah, it all they, hurts they address that with some boss boss levels kind of a in a way it's a dark comedy too there's some funny things in there i really liked boss level i, li I liked all of these movies yeah, they're, I, I thought they're good they were movies. great so okay back to groundhog day i don't remember what my thought was that that derailed me over to boss level but but in groundhog day he realizes I've tried everything else to get out of this. I've tried death. I've tried explosions. I've maybe I should just try being a good guy. And at that point, well, I don't think he's, he's trying not trying to, to get out. He's just at that point. He's not. He's just like, okay, what what am I about? He what is Phil Connor? His what 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 is his essence? Well, his his what leads him to 
changing his character was still his selfish desires to impress people and to get ladies into bed. Why does he start to learn the piano? Because her perfect guy... Oh, could play Reed the piano. perfect right. guy could play an instrument. There's a great scene where That's he's like, right. he's like, who's your perfect guy? And she's yeah. like, well, he's humble, but is too humble to even know he's humble. He's like, me. <laughs> and he's like, he has a good body, but doesn't have to look at it. He's like, I have a great body. And it's been months since I've looked. And, <laughs> you know, it's obvious that while he's progressing, he's still focused on himself. And he's like, me, me again. He's like, I'm really, really close. So, so, we, so we have to say that... Because I was, I was, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up because I was probably on the wrong track. He doesn't just start to progress for the sake of progression. No, he's still trying to he's get He's trying Andy to Miguel, get the girl. Rita. He's still trying to win Rita. Which, to the listeners out there, is a, is a noble aspiration for you men right. to, to seek after this wisdom, divine, feminine, perfect to, woman. To be a desirable To be man. desirable to her. Is, that's again, boss that's level. That's good enough for you and that's good enough boss for level, God. Boss <laughs> level, the kid says, you know, mom says you're a badass. Mom says that? Well, she doesn't say badass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. but but it was a, a positive comment coming right. from the woman and right. he, 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 he craves that. He needs that right. positive affirmation. Mom talks about me? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, there's hope yet. There's hope for right. their, their, their eternal companionship, their right. dyadic union. And so Phil, Phil does all these things to again to, to impress, to win. So over. that's his motive. That's he his learns French. motivation. He learns French because yeah. she likes French poetry, and again he l- uses that skill for ill-gotten gains at the first. Right. He, right. He has ill. He has his intentions are not sincere, but he's he's learned French. He figures out her favorite kind of ice cream. He figures out, you know, all of these things because, again, mm-hmm. he's getting to know her day after day after day. Right. But then he, then he switches. There's a point where he switches from attempting to get Rita into bed to just living a virtuous life. Isn't, isn't that a point where he tries to save the kitty? There's a montage where he tries to save the homeless person. Yeah, and it's really profound because this old homeless guy, he spent the whole movie ignoring and faux taking, you know, he's pretending like he's all catch you tomorrow. I don't, oh, no I don't have any money. And at one point he gives him all his money, mm-hmm. all the cash he's got because it's stolen cash. But the, right? the problem is this homeless guy dies that day. And there's nothing right. he can do about it. And there's this profound montage. I think it could have even been more because I think that, you know, he goes to the hospital when he dies, right? And he says, I need to see his charts. Show me his charts. And he barges in there and the nurse is like, you can't be in here. Yeah. Show me the charts. And the lady says, sometimes people just die. And he stomps out and says, not today. And then it goes through this thing where he's feeding the guy, he's getting in some better clothes and the guy yeah. every time the guy dies right and i he, think that's he's no when, longer trying to get rita into bed he's trying to help this guy well and also what he realizes so, so has his motivation that, changed what, that's well go ahead what he Sorry. realizes is that he's not a god he can't do it he can't he doesn't have power over death he's not immortal even in this loop that he's in people are dying yeah and it shows him and i and so i think i think combined with that and getting slapped over and over and just realizing that that nothing that that even good things he tries to do he maybe he maybe knows everything that there is to know about everybody he may be able to repeat the day 
he may have no real lasting consequences for his actions, but he still can't have everything he wants. He's not getting he the only thing get, he wants. Okay, which is her. Right. And all he has all of this going on. And well, but, still but he can't not save the he can't save the homeless person. That becomes right. something that he wants very badly. Right. Yeah. And which it, which it, I think is is that montage there, and I can't remember the order because the thing just keeps repeating over and over again. But I'm I'm asking the question: Isn't that an an inflection point they're demonstrating that he Absolutely. has shifted from strategically trying to get he's, her into bed to a more like he's been refined. The, he's the, starting to think about other people. See, this is the thing about the hero's journey or the repetitive the, the, being caught in cyclical time re- relating to the ancient narratives on, on our eternal progression. Time is a flat circle. And it, and it refines people. It's, there's a passage in the Book of Mormon that is very... You may not get this out of it if you read it, but there's a place in Alma where it says time is allotted unto man to repent. Right. Like it's so that you can repent. Repent meaning change your mind. Right. And be we, re- be we, refined. I think we we say, oh, this is this life is probation, which is also what the Book of Mormon says, and so it's a test. And we think of it more of a test rather than a refiner's fire, a, right, a but, repetitive, repetitive well, cycle where we can get better and better and right, better. Right, right, right. And I would I would argue that there there we got to look at this on a in a cosmic eternal uh scope because time this isn't the only world where time occurs. But the this particular world is the place where you're on probation because of right, the war. Right. The the test is not so much to see if you'll do this checklist item or that checklist item or, or not drink beer or whatever. The test is to see if you'll be loyal to Christ versus loyal to the adversary. It has right. to do with which voice you're listening to. That's my, and, and there's yeah. a whole lot I have to say well, about that. And and I'll that, try not to get lost on that, that right theme, now. That, that's a theme that can be fleshed out in Groundhog Day. You know, which voice is he listening to? Which, which impulses does he indulge? Indulge, yeah. And, you know, of course, in the beginning, as we've talked about, He's selfish and cynical and indulges in all the base natural behaviors. Natural man behavior. And it's not until he tries to save people's lives rather than get what he wants that he starts progressing and changing. And so, you know, you have the, the he catches the kid falling out of the tree. He, right. He tries to save the old man. He changes the tire of yeah, the old he, lady. Yeah, he's got a, after a while, he's got a schedule of all of his good yeah. deeds that he's going to you know, do. So, he changes the tire and the lady's like, who, who, what's it's an earthquake. It's not an earthquake. And later on, they're like, it's the nice man from the motor club. <laughs> and he, that's when he starts to have this impact, this effect on the townspeople and why, you know, you're saying earlier, why, how is it that they could admire him so much? Well, he's had a, profound he's he's come to each of them in their moments of need right and it, and it's so to the point that the the guy the cameraman larry who knows that he's a jerk has in one day shifted from from thinking he's a jerk to wanting to copy him yeah when he, he they, they go to the bachelor <laughs> auction or they're at the party and they do a bachelor right. auction well he's trying and, to and, pick up nancy at the yeah set. <laughs> <laughs> and he's striking out well larry's going through the same process right <laughs> Without With, the benefit without, of the memory. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. And you, you also see Phil's progression in his on-camera monologues. You know, at, at one point he's like, this is podunk, stupid bunch of idiot hicks. And then at the end he's quoting Chekhov in the long gray winter. And mm-hmm. Larry's like, you touched me, man. You, you, you. And, <laughs> and in the end, 
and everybody's gathered around to hear his Punxsutawney Phil right, broadcast, right, right. which which is funny because he's been such a jerk to them just barely right before that, the day before. So, right. but but it's a well, movie. I do right? think I do think though that there is at one point Rita says this is also familiar. I think because these people are stuck in the time loop; they're living this day over and over and over and over. They just don't know it. Well, I think the, the takeaway there is we affect each other. Our, our, right. our actions have effects on each other, and goodness has an effect on other people's goodness. Right, and he brings, he ultimately, he is a force for good in this little town, and or at least with the principal players in the movie and, you know, in the town. There's a lot of extras, right, that are just extras. But mm-hmm. he, uh, and eventually he repents. He repents from the jerk that we meet at the beginning of the movie. He changes. he changes his mind. He changes his heart and mind to someone who is he becomes, focused on being a positive influence. He becomes Rita's perfect guy, with, but... But he's given up on trying to get her into bed. He's given up on right. you doing it for the wrong reasons. Well, and then in, in the final final scene, she stays with him again, but they don't sleep together that's that was something that i found really interesting watching it over it because i had he could he could have made that move but no her companionship that's what's great about groundhog day is enough that's what was great about groundhog day it was not about sex in the end right it was about the the spiritual union between the two and i think that it's amazing that they bring that out how He's doing it for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons, and that's what allows him to level up. Right. That's what allows him to leave that stopping over place and go to the next stopping over place. I use that terminology deliberately because there's a passage in John chapter 14 where he says, in my father's house there are many mansions. Mm-hmm. And it may surprise our listeners, some of our listeners already know this, because we've talked about it, <laughs> but it may surprise some of you to know that the word mansion or mansion in English, but going back to the 1600s, it meant hotel. And in the Greek, it's in my, in my father's oikos. Oikos is the word we get the eco- word economy from. So in my father's system, there are many stopping over places is what that means. In my yeah. father's house, there are many mansions. In, in Christianity and in, in Mormonism, we've kind of devolved in our thinking to a point where we think that um, you're going to have a, a palatial estate in the heavens where you can just kick back and drink mimosas, mai tais, whatever. And, and would you like another mimosa, Mister Incredible? <laughs> <laughs> we we will arrive in Nomanistan. Did you know that's the name of the island that he goes to? Nomanistan. <laughs> oh, nice. No man is an island. Well, that's maybe <laughs> that's the name of Syndrome's island, but. Uh, anyway, you know, doing good is a pleasure, a joy beyond measure. You know, how how does that, uh, song go? Dream of your mansions above. Right. I can't remember what leads to that. It says something like, uh, wake up and do something more than dream of your mansions above. Wake up and do something more than dream of your mansions above. I should have probably put the, the music to it. Then I could remember it. Doing good is a pleasure, a joy beyond measure, a blessing of duty and love. Okay. Um, the, the hymns, the LDS hymns are great. Well, and that, that's, have I done any good, right? Have I done any have good, I done in, the any good in the world today? Have I done any good in the world today? 
That's a good question. And the idea is that if you do good, you should be doing good and not dreaming of your mansion that you're going to have. But we have we have this idea of a mansion in our heads it, to the point where I think in Deseret Book they've sold for, for the moms out there these these paintings or pictures of an idyllic family with a beautiful house and and the kids playing on you know the mansion that you're that you're hoping for in the eternities. Well, on Groundhog Day, he spends the first three quarters of the movie dreaming of his mansions above. And in that case, the mansions are these conquests and mm-hmm. all of these, you know, the, the worldly rewards that you can get from exploiting people and manipulating people and lying and deceiving mm-hmm. people. And, you know, you, you well, can get anything in this world for money. And that's yeah, he does. He gets everything in this world. Except, except what, what he, he ultimately really wants. Yeah, and and that's what I'm trying to say is that until he learns what he's supposed to learn, he's stuck in the stopping over place. In right. the system, in my father's oikos, there are many stopping over places, many moni. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are realms where you have to learn something and be refined to a point, and then you move ahead. Right. And so he goes through that, process and finally as we've just discussed when he finally has the right motivations and learns everything he's supposed to learn then it goes on what's well, interesting when he the day when the day actually changes over right and there's snow pure white everything is clean and pure and reset he looks out the window he says to Rita we need to move here. We need to live here. We'll rent at first. <laughs> it's interesting. He wants to stay there. Yeah. But he's come to love the place and the people, but he's spiritually moved on from that stopping yeah. place. Yeah. So in boss level, he, the, the language that they use is that he has to take his mass back to the source. Right. It's sort of a scientific thing on uh, play yeah. on this device they call the Osiris spindle. But he, the idea that Frank Griot has to return to the woman and then return to the source is astonishing. That right. symbolism, that's, well, that's in, very clear in both movies, and important. In both movies, you have a union of male and female that, that enables the, the moving spiritually on. and physically moving on, the progression. Right. Right, but he he has to he must return to the source and then he can move to the next stopping over place or move on in his progression. In The Edge of Tomorrow, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt must jointly attempt to their their journey involves the two of them working together and they they end up needing to encounter the omega, which is is of course the last, the, the alpha being the first, omega being the last. And that is what then allows the data to, to right. change and the the conquering of the evil. Well, let's to occur. not forget that in in the Truman Show, Truman had to leave behind the false wisdom, the false, the Lilith, the false right Eve, his, his wife, and and he and, and he is seeking the the woman and combining with help on the outside from the true wisdom, the woman that he truly loved. Yeah, and they he, got the perfect actress for the what what was her name? Uh, I don't remember her name. Not the actress's woman, but the name in the... Was it Sylvia? I think so, yeah. And, and or was Sylvia the name she gave him at first? Lauren and then Sylvia? I can't remember. Something, yeah, something like that. She, her real name and then she had her character. Her name, eyes but, are super striking. And right. so that made made that those montages where he's he's trying to... Recreate her. Recreate her, her out of magazines. So, so poignant. 
Well, but the the point here is that our our eternal progression requires us to it requires that combination of the the male and the female and and the masculine and, and the feminine the, attributes. Right, the wisdom. And if any of you lack wisdom, <laughs> right. So we have wisdom with a lowercase w and wisdom with a capital W. The woman embodies wisdom. She is greater than rubies than fine right. fine pearls. She is a tree of life. This is Proverbs chapters three and chapters eight. You'll see that uh, w- wisdom is always a feminine attribute. Well, you, truth, on the other hand, is a masculine thing. Jesus br- calls himself the title of, or the spirit of truth in DNC ninety three. You brought up the absurdity of the kind of the gender wars. Well. It's an incendiary buffoonery. What's buffoonery? Well, it could be a lack of wisdom. And they want to they want to eliminate gender. What you're doing is eliminating those aspects of truth and wisdom and the ability to combine them. If they don't exist, if the masculine and the feminine don't exist, which is what's happening in certain circles, how do you combine those two things? How does how do truth and wisdom combine to create spiritual progression? Well, what what we have in this world being cut off from the presence of God, go do a word study in the Book of Mormon, by the way, if you like the Book of Mormon. How many times the these prophets, these temple priests, use the word cut off to describe our condition here right. in the fallen world? One one of the conditions that we experience here is that Adam is separated from Eve. The fact that they take Eve out of the uh, out of Adam in the creation myth, she's taken as a rib from him, is, is to demonstrate that they were unified in a greater way. Now, I am not trying to tell you that I believe in an androgynous or hermaphroditic God. Okay, in some when you start to study this stuff and look into certain Gnostic and other explanations sure. they'll say god, the male and female god are the same being and i'm not i'm not saying that i think there's a more of a spiritual mental uh telepathic or some sort of a union telepathic's probably the wrong word but something far greater than mortal tongue can sure. describe as adam and eve or or horus and isis jesus and mary whoever you, your uh, prototypes are when they're joined in the heavens osiris and isis it's Horus and Isis, technically, but H- Horus is the is the heavenly manifestation of Osiris. Okay. When you see Osiris lying down on the lion couch, uh-huh. the the he's the ba, and the ka is the little hawk with the person's head. Right. And the, the, his his ka is Horus. So okay. so you have different parts of your soul. The in the Egyptian uh, system. You have three, the three most important parts we want to talk about right here are the da, the body, the ba, the spirit, and the ka, the higher spirit. And your, your ba and da are joined right now, but you're, you're lacking your, your, uh, ka. This would be at the end of Moses chapter six, where, uh, because of the, the cleansing and the purification and the reunification that it is given to Adam to have the record of heaven, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, that which enlighteneth and enliveneth all things. That is perhaps a reunification with his ka. Mm -hmm. And right there at the end of Moses chapter 6, it gets very esoteric. There's some really important important material there. But again, a discussion for another day. But uh, yeah, Horus and Isis 
are the if, if you're going to talk about the great gods of Egypt, you've got Amun and Hathor, the father and the mother, and then you've got Horus and Isis. And, and remember, Egyptian religion went through thousands of years of changes. So in some cases, they describe it differently. You have a situation where Osiris becomes the main god, and then he and Isis have a son, and he's called Horus the Younger, as opposed to Horus the Elder, who got dismembered by Set. And in some cases, it is Osiris that gets dismembered by Set. He gets trapped in a, in a coffin that... <laughs> the story goes something like this, that Osiris is Set's brother. Sometimes Set is called Seth. Anyway, Set wants to overthrow Osiris, and so therefore he has a party, and he has this beautiful casket made, and he says, I'm going to give this casket to whoever can fit in it exactly. <laughs> and of course, it's been tailor-made for Osiris, and so then they have all the party guests jump in the casket to see who fits the best so they can receive the gift of the casket. Now, that seems a little bit absurd. Like, if you're at a party and they're trying to get you to jump in a casket, probably not a good idea. Don't get in the casket. <laughs> but, uh, by the way, that's also part of the Masonic rituals that you have to go through if you want to level up in the in masonry. You have to get in the casket and then go through the birth-rebirth montage. So that relates to Groundhog Day also. But, anyway, the story goes that Osiris jumps in the casket. It's a perfect fit. Set locks him in and casts him out into the sea, and then he um, gets lodged in a uh, in the reeds somewhere, and a tree grows up around him. And anyway, he becomes the god of the underworld. Well, the secret is that the underworld is this world. We are the world underneath all the other worlds. We're at the lowest level, the telos, the furthest away, telephoto, telephone, television. Telos is either the utmost end or the furthest away. Uh, Dante called it the Inferno, which I, I may have explained this before on the podcast. Inferno in, in the Latin and Italian means furthest away, and in English it means a raging fire in modern English, but that's unfortunate because in Dante's Inferno, when Virgil and Dante descend through the rings of hell, they find Satan at, in the ninth ring of hell, larger than life, grizzled and hairy with bat wings and hair all over him, and he's got three faces. He's chewing on Brutus, Cassius, and Judas, the three great traitors, because of course, Brutus and Cassius betrayed Caesar. Judas betrayed the Christ, Jesus. And anyway, he's encrusted in ice. Right. <laughs> he's the furthest away from the glory, the fire. So anyway, Horus and Isis. Horus is the sort of the heavenly persona of Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ figure in a pre-Christian world. When they were talking about his mission and his advent on the earth, prior to his coming. So it's all metaphorical. It's all symbolic. Okay. You can see it in the stories. And again, they've, the Egyptian stories change back and forth. But the way I would describe it is Horus is the, is the Yahweh or the Jehovah heavenly persona of Christ. And Osiris is his earthly persona, which gets dismembered by Set. He gets destroyed here in this world. And technically, he gave up his life on the cross. I don't think right. I don't think Set has that kind of power over him, but uh, but that was the that was the mythology that described Christ, and so Horus is the counterpart to Isis. It's the truth, wisdom, the 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 son, the daughter, the Adam, the Eve. These are the these are the great archetypes. The so anyway, there's sorry I had to I had to run off on a little tangent <laughs> there because yeah, Horus, well, you're you're right. So in, and wrong in the end, 
how do we how do we escape our repetitive loops? You know, there's a there's a line that I'm going to paraphrase where Phil says, "You guys, he's talking to he's talking to the two uh, cafe guys, Gus and uh huh, what's his name? Oh, Gus and does it start with an R? Randy or Randy something. or something? Well, he's talking to these guys." And he says, you ever just feel like it? nothing you do matters? You're just stuck in the same humdrum thing day after day after day. Ralph is the guy. Ralph. And Ralph says that about sums it up for me. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about... Oh, keep going. Well... Before we get before we get on to the the wrap up wrapping up of the, the themes here, we got to talk about the diner itself. Yeah. But, but keep, keep going. Well, well I'm going to say... Sums it up for me. I think we're all Ralph at some point. We feel trapped and stagnant you know maybe we work at a place we don't like with people we don't like maybe we just don't feel like anything we do has mm-hmm. any meaningful impact or well we also play this the role of the security guard in the movie free guy right we, we play the non-player characters we we end up the question is when will adam awake right. and arise right. if you've been to the mormon temple that's a big part of it or in the parlance of boss guy when will you Start being a badass. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's right. <laughs> a badass father and protector and care- caretaker, that kind of a thing. And, and in the case of uh, Phil in Groundhog Day, it, it's w- when is he going to get his motivation right? When is he going to when is he going to recognize that he needs to deal with this and make the best of it? When all these movies... For the right reasons. All these movies, I don't think it's coincidence that these movies that we've talked about have a male protagonist, and, and especially in a world where the masculine is being neutered they're trying to demasculate men in in a lot of our culture right now and that's a that's a horrible dangerous thing and we as men need to rise up and be that that this is just strong protective caretaker provider and that can mean different things for different people but there are certain things that must be present and you must be a strong dare i say authoritative person that doesn't mean you need to be a tyrant well, you want to be you need strong to be a, in the sense source, of doctrine and covenant section one twenty one, where you're persuasive, meek, gentle, a source kind. of truth. If truth is yeah. masculine, you need to be a you need to know the truth of truth. That's a that's a high bar to find the truth, right? But but l- that's look. You've got you've got patriarchy, patriarchy and matriarchy, right? You've got mm-hmm. this this problem here where most of the world. See, I think God has a soft spot for women. I really do think that the men, guys, we got to pull our heads out because... Well, you can't have a union. I'm not, I'm not saying you're held to a higher bar, but you're held to a different bar than the women. The, the men here naturally are of larger stature and more domineering. And it doesn't mean that we just turn over the reins to a matriarchy. A matriarchy has all kinds of problems for other reasons and the society destroys itself similarly. In fact, we're not going to talk about it today, but the movie Oblivion and Free Guy, those are great commentaries on patriarchy, matriarchy, and and get into some of those themes. Well, you you can't have a you cannot have a union of truth and wisdom if one or the other is if it's out of balance. Is not there. Yeah. The, the, the idea of balance between the two is of the utmost importance. So you need, you need the man to be the prototypical masculine. Now, I'm not talking about overly masculine. I'm talking about a balanced masculine 
hero like Jesus. Right, right. We're we're not uh, one of the one of the most sad aspects, I think, of you know Christian art in the last eighteen hundred years, nineteen hundred years, whatever. Is that in a lot of cases Jesus is depicted as a, a, a an, an effeminate waif, uh, s- dilapidated you right, know right. man, and then, and then of course a lot of that's imagery on the cross where of you know he had to have been <laughs> he's in a compromising position, but I don't think that I don't think of Jesus that way. I think he was a masculine man in an appropriate way, maybe not the most masculine of men. Like there's a a comparison I want to make that's a little strange, and that is of Thanos in the Avengers, because he is a type of Christ. That whole system is inverted. He mm-hmm. he is the one who gets the six infinity stones. Those represent the six creative periods, and then he sits down in a place they call the garden. They're very clear about it. They make a big deal about it being called the garden. He sits down, and he rests, and he looks out over his creation, and he smiles, sees that it was good. So he's he's clearly a type of the Christian creator God, and they make him sort of a, an, I wouldn't call him ugly, but but uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Josh Brolin mm-hmm. plays him, and he's just a very masculine, masculine man. And they they then amplify that in the um, uh, in the character of Thanos, and he's got this, yeah, big gr- jaw, big jaw, and, muscles. But it's excellent. They they do an excellent job. It's just that he's he's overly masculine. So I'm not, that's not well, what I'm also, talking about. He's also abusive and all of the things that. Well, he's he, but but he also sets his face like a flint and will not be denied right. from from his ultimate goal. So <laughs> there, there's a lot to admire it's in the an, Thanos character. It's an ultimate inversion, and you've you've yeah. touched on that. I know that's a big yeah, yeah, it's a big deal, big deal for you. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But uh, we're not talking about Christ as the the that kind of masculinity we're talking about and i don't want to use the term toxic masculinity because that's going the that's that's an attempt to neuter well toxic masculinity nowadays just means any masculinity right any kind of masculinity Anything, whether the good or the bad right men need to be men and women need to be women <gasps> <laughs> what's was there a, a radio show about uh lake Winnipesaukee. Winnipesaukee, where the yeah. men are men and women are women and the children are all above average. That was um, Garrison Keillor. Okay. Did the Lake Winnipesaukee. I got to look that up. I, I remember. Think, or Lake, no, he Win- did the Lake, Lake Wobegon. Lake Wobegon? Lake Wobegon was Garrison Keillor. He did this whole. Is that the one where the men are men, the women are women, yeah, and the I children so. are all above average? I think so. But I, I don't know. I can't remember. I, but uh, but yeah. the, <laughs> it's so important that you, you've got to be yourself. You, you need to recognize who you really are. And and gender is part of the the characteristics that make you up. And well, that's so, that's the progression of Phil Connors in Groundhog Day. He is the wrong kind of man in the beginning, and he learns through an infinite amount of repetition and problems and, and infinite. Failure. We don't know it is not finite, but it does in the end become finite. He, he becomes he becomes the right kind of man. Right, he sheds off the natural man and becomes the. A saint, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, second Nephi, right? He, uh, you know, the natural man is an enemy to God and has been since the fall of Adam, and will be until he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and becomes a saint. Okay, so let's talk about Mosiah. the name. Is it Mosiah? Okay, yeah. 
let's talk about the name of the newspaper and the diner. So in the diner, the diner, listen, this is a small town. So pretty much everybody goes to this diner, right? The diner is where Phil converses with everybody. (laughs) With everybody, but... It's sort of it, a nexus point. But it focuses a, temple, a lot. The focus is a lot the center on, of town. on conversations with Rita. So you have the man and the woman conversing. You have truth conversing with wisdom. If you want they to go sort that of, far. They sort of do their debriefings here. Right. It's where he, it's where he finally, st- he, you know, he, she's worried about him. Because from the very beginning, he's acting weird, right? And Well, and he's a jerk. But she's, she's trying to... You can see that she's motivated for a lot of reasons, and yeah. you you can see her goodness come out because once she sees he's he's not the same guy he was when he went to bed the night before, she's she doesn't need an explanation. She doesn't need like a lot of extra right. proof. She just helps the guy. And she starts the first thing they do is to go see a medical doctor who is played by Harold Ramis, a little cameo, <laughs> and he doesn't prove to be much help. He's just looking at the X-rays, saying, "Your body's fine." You need a psychiatrist. So then he goes to the world's worst psychiatrist. And by the way, this, the way that, that Rita here or uh, Andy McDowell is helping Phil, I think is the true definition of help meet. She's trying to help him right. figure it out. Right. It's not that Adam needs Eve to help him make with, him a sandwich. with dishes or make him a sandwich. <laughs> he needs her help to get back to heaven. He right. needs her help to get out of the loop. Yeah. That's why I'm saying there's a, it's a different thing for the guys and the girls here. Well, and, and that's why it's important that the guys are playing the protagonist and the girls are helping them get out of the loop because that is technically the problem for Adam and Eve. <laughs> right. And it's interesting, too, that the establishment sources of help, you have medical and maybe, you know, uh, mental health, fail him miserably. They're not, they're not going to do him any good. And I'm not saying those fields don't do any good. But in this case, when it comes to spiritual progression... Those fields aren't going to be adequate. And the psychiatrist is so funny. He's he's this diminutive <laughs> waif of a man. He's like, I mostly deal with couples and I have an alcoholic now. And, he, and he's like, how about, we shouldn't how meet about again. tomorrow? How about tomorrow? And Phil, you know, puts the pillow over his head. He's like, is that not good? Not just like he doesn't even, yeah, is that not good for you? Can't even figure out, you know. Well, and, and these poor people don't know what's going on. Right. Right, and so they're unable to help, and I think there's some, you know, there's some insight there that ultimately, some reality there. Ultimately, this spiritual journey that we're all on, this covenant path, <laughs> this spiritual journey that TM. we're all on, requires spiritual guidance. It requires that in the hero's journey, that wise and helpful guide, which is so often in literature and movies portrayed as an old, wise, you know, wizard. You know, a white-bearded wizard mm-hmm. in a robe like Gandalf or uh, Dumbledore. And that's a thing. Or Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's a thing. Can we identify Can we identify a uh, mentor or a Thoth or an Enoch and or whatever in these movies? Phil doesn't really have that other than Andy McDowell, Rita. Yeah, but, that's, but in our archetypal cosmos system... She can't play that. She right. See, Dante has to go with Virgil all the way to the mountain of Purgatory, right. where he meets Beatrice. Uh, Obi Wan puts Luke in touch with Princess Leia. It's you, you've got you. You do have a separate entity there, and so it, uh, that's a good question about in these movies. Is there a is there a mentor figure in Edge of Tomorrow? 
there kind of is. There's a scientist that that is part of the equation. And in Palm Springs and in boss level, I don't think there's that mentor character. I don't think you see one in Groundhog Day. And that's fine. That's right. that's okay. That's right. not... Well, he, and, and in a way, that's more relatable because how many times in real life do you have somebody like that? It's it's rare. Now, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And we have access to literal mentors, father figures, etc. But it's still rare to have somebody like an Obi-Wan or a Gandalf that's going to literally... Well, they're, they're out there. I think they're out I there, think but Hugh, I think it's... Your Hugh Nibley is one of those guys. Sure, but he... But how but accessible Hugh, was but he? Yeah, Hugh wasn't a guy that either of us spent every day with being tutored and mentored. Right, so so could we say then that uh, for lack of a of a Obi-Wan character, Phil seeks him out. He He goes out and he learns on his own. Because he has to go through the learning phase. He has to go... He, like the piano teacher could almost be considered that. Right. Because he learns from her. He's my student. Yeah. <laughs> it's very comical in well, that sense. And, and what's not shown on screen is all these other people that teach Phil French and ice sculpting right. and chiropractic in bo- practice. Right. And in <laughs> boss level, uh, the woman gives Roy the Frank Grillo character, a book on Horus and Isis, or Osiris and Isis, excuse me, which is sort of a Thoth type of a thing for him to have the book. That's the key. And he gets help along the way. It's like the the security guy, the, the... the guy at the bar, yeah, who knows yeah, all about they, they kinda, security they and play tracking. That role Even the, the bartender, bar, the bartender the, mm-hmm. who's played by that famous doctor slash comedian. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name now. Chinese his name. guy. Um, and yeah, and you have um, Ken Ken Young, Ken Young as Chef Jake. You have even the you know you have the the bartender from the night before the the girl that he kind of likes. Oh yeah, she offers him some wisdom. Even and then, even the lady that started it all, the the hygienist, gives him some information. So there are people that, yeah, help him along the way. Even his son helps him along the way with some some video game analogies and things. But, but there's but, no one character that embodies. That yeah, I would in that I movie. would say that in these movies, that figure is sort of downplayed. There's not a lot of that. You, sure. you do see the not the knowledge gaining, but but these are movies that are talking about acquisition of wisdom these are these are the uh the masculine guy needing the woman needing so, needing the divine feminine so to to bring this into the real world a little bit how do how do we how does it relate how can we okay before we do before wisdom? we do that we have to okay all right we didn't we finish gotta our talk thought about on the diner the, we didn't finish our thought on the diner because the diner is important the diner is like we were saying that's where they commiserate and there's a newspaper in the town and I had never noticed this before, but I noticed it last time. The news, the name of the newspaper is The Spirit. And so when they're in the diner, you have people in the background, you know, displays and stuff of the spirit. So he's literally surrounded by mm-hmm. the spirit. Right. And I, I think that the diner is a manifestation of the ancient Egyptian weighing of the heart ceremony. Mm-hmm. There's, there's another great movie that's all about this called Defending Your Life. 
Albert Brooks and Mel Streep. And this is about the afterlife where they have to go defend their life and then decide where they go next. And so I feel like the diner kind of fills that role where they, they come to the diner and, and he kind of, he's thinking about what he's going to do during the day. He's talking, he's getting information. And that's sort of where the, it's not really the reset, but that's, that's sort of the, the communal. Well, it's, it's, it's where, talking place. It's where truth and wisdom are combined. Right. In in the weighing of the heart ceremony in Egypt, there are a lot of different depictions of this, but the idea is the initiate or the Atum or Osiris or whoever is is there, and Anubis and Ma'at, or sometimes Horus and Ma'at are Ma'at is the woman with the big wings for arms. Mm-hmm. They they weigh the heart of the initiate against a feather. Now it's, it's strange. It always struck me as strange until I realized that there were two, two keys to unlocking this mystery. Number one, the heart in ancient literature and old literature, I think prior to the 19th century, prior to the Gothic romance novels, prior to our modern romantic media, the heart was always considered the center of feeling and intellect. It wasn't the brain, the brain, is not an organ that we really understood until the night, the, the mid 19th century, the mid 1800s. And so when you see references to the heart in scripture, it's talking about something that's quite cerebral. Now, not, not just left brain cerebral, but a, a combination of feeling and intellect. And we have to separate from that discussion emotion because just base emotion is something that needs to be left out of the equation. You, you have feeling, but base emotion is felt in the gut. And that's why in the scriptures you'll see language like, my bowels were filled with compassion, something like that. It's like in the bowels, and that, that would always make us laugh, right, when we were in, in Sunday school, like, oh, the bowels, oh, you know, whatever. He right. said bowel, <laughs> and uh, it's in the scriptures. So the, the heart is the center of feeling and intellect, and it, so it's the mind, and heart is usually linked to mind. Heart shows up in the scriptures far more than mind. The word mind shows up about a quarter of the number of times in the scriptures. And then the word brain is non-existent. It never talks about the brain. It's just not part of it. So as a, as a literary device, the heart, as a symbol, the heart represents your essence, your, your being. And it's, it's, a, it's a thinking thing. It's not just a feeling thing. It's weighed against a feather. Well, in Egypt, those feathers are shown in other places. They're on the headdress or the or the the... <laughs> I can't even remember the word, the crown of Osiris, or actually generally not Osiris, but of Amun. And they're these big, long feathers that are stylized sometimes. Well, the feathers are the Ma'at feathers. They're also on the wings of the woman, and, and they show up all over the place in Egypt. The feathers represent light and truth. And if you've read Doctrine and Covenants section 93, the glory of God is intelligence. In other words, light and truth. This is, this is very Joseph Smithian stuff. If you're Mormon, now if you're not Mormon, I hope you'll investigate some of this stuff because we, it's really exciting if you're into the eternal progression, hero's journey, the, you know, what are we really doing here in this world? But for those of you that are LDS, this is not stuff that's talk. you probably LDS, not VLDS. <laughs> but this is not stuff that's talked about very often. It's not, we, we don't have time to bring it out in our correlated meetings. And if you do, often you'll get shut down because it's too mysterious and we don't talk about the mysteries or whatever. These, But these are the things 
the exciting things about Mormonism, I think. And that's why Joseph Smith's foray into Egyptian stuff is no big deal. The Book of Abraham is really important and ought not be dismissed or cast aside. It's not, you know, it doesn't matter that the that his compatriots maybe wrote down some interesting interpretations in their footnotes. The, the fact that Joseph was interested in Egypt is important because they have a lot of information about the journey. And here we have in the diner scene, I think, a weighing of the heart. It's the, it's the here we are back here right. deciding where we go next. What, what do we do next? You weigh the heart against the feather. And, and if you've got enough light, you move on. And it, I think, too, you can look at it like things that are heavier than a feather, like would be a rock. A, a rock is a hard thing. You have a hard heart you're going to outweigh that feather, right? <laughs> and so in the beginning, he has a hard heart, right? He's prideful, he's cynical, etc. Then he has a heavy heart when he's depressed and committing suicide and living, you know, mm-hmm. slothfully. In the end, he has a light heart. Yeah. A, light, a heart that is lifted by light and truth, and it weighs less than a feather. And I've always, there's a lot of ways you can interpret the, the weighing against the feather, and I, uh, I think well, the, intentionally, yeah. it's not meant to be only a one, a one thing. Yeah, in the movie Defending Your Life, everybody ought to watch that. And that's a family-friendly movie. It's just, you know, coming from an LDS background, it's so n- different from what we have all drawn up in the plan of salvation drawing that it, it, it looks like it's this pagan craziness. But it's it's really important, and in in this this afterlife that they experience, Albert the Albert Brooks character it has to go into the these sessions where they replay on a movie screen segments of his life, and it's not what you would think. You know, they're not they're not replaying all the little white lies he told, or the fact that he smoked a cigarette, or that he cheated on a test in third grade. It's it's like, why didn't you stand up to your boss when he was putting you down and insulting you and making you do all the crap? Why didn't you, why didn't you reach for the stars and do this thing in your life or whatever? It's, it's really interesting how to, to, to think about the idea that maybe the things we focus on that we think are the most important are not going to be the things that God really cares about. Uh, there, there's a... Joseph Smith's statement that I'll have to find where he tells whoever he's talking to, he says, look, if you have no accuser, you'll get into heaven. And if you won't accuse me, I'll take you. And if you listen to the re- the instructions I've given you through the revelations, I'll take you as my backload into heaven. And then he goes on and he says, a lot of things people, the Protestant world thinks are sins are not sins. This is very, What's interesting uh, very important stuff. In Groundhog Day, he thinks of himself as this celebrity. He even says, I'm a, don't you have an emergency line for celebrities? Well, I'm both. I'm an, I'm a celebrity and an emergency. And and he thinks of himself as a celebrity, but nobody, nobody really recognizes him. He has a couple people here and there, but the town doesn't know who he is. He's just the guy that comes once a year and covers it. And who cares? No one's really awestruck by the, no, or starstruck by the celebrity. No, but, it's great because he's got this, this same feeling of self-importance that we all have. But in the end, 
the town loves him. They they flock around him. They everybody wants to be around him and to be part of him. And to they you know they have an auction where they bid for him and the ladies are fighting over him. Right? Why is that? Well, like you just said, he he develops that charisma that comes from developing meaningful relationships and meaningful pursuits. He he isn't chasing the 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 accolades of the world. He, he instead starts serving other people, helping other people. He does things that he uses his talents to enrich the town, to enrich the people. He's 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 not playing the piano to enter to impress Rita. He's playing in the band to entertain everyone at the party, and it's yeah, it's great. And he he plays that little song that uh, kind of becomes the Rita and Phil theme, that famous. And yeah. I'm butchering it. Is but that Rachmaninoff? I think so. And it is hard to play on the piano. And, I uh, um, will attest to that. All and so all of these things that he develops are the things that are those more meaningful. Like no, in the end, no one's going to care how many accounts you uh, closed or sales you closed yeah. or what your stock portfolio looks like. No one, no one's ever going to care about. Well, that. you can't take it with you, right? You can't take it with you, but you can't. No one, no one is going to keep it for you when you're gone either in the sense that when, when yeah, they're just going to think, spend think it. of, think of the people that are, think of the people that have passed on in your life, grandparents, great grandparents. What do you think of when you think of them? Do you think of, Oh, wow, he, he, he sure was a great uh, stock trader. No, you think about going fishing or hunting or mm-hmm. the, the, the baseball games that you attend, you know, that's, well, that's what your legacy is. That's what, people want to remember they don't care that you were the weatherman for channel nine Pittsburgh. <laughs> they care that Some you people remember they that care that you changed their tire for them or that you caught your kid out of the tree or that you played, you played music at the town party. Yeah, I think, and I think that demonstrates a lot about people. Some people do care about the the other stuff. Right, and but some those people are don't. the people that never progress from being Phil Connor at the beginning They're the of the non-player characters. They're the miserable people. They live their life pursuing things that have no value. Well, and this world is full of all those types. We all do it. We all do it to a degree. We all do. In some fact, of it is necessary. You have to in fact, have a roof over your well, head. Yeah, sometimes it's depressing to think how many people are just going through the loop. The, right? W- right. Just day to day. Well, and I think some of the pe- I think we talked about this earlier. I think some of the people going through the loop aren't benefiting from remembering that what they're learning and that they're in a loop, you know, boss guy and boss guy learns from his mistakes. Right. He's like, Oh, have a, you know, the opening scene, he's like, Oh yeah. And then the bus, after the bus, things are easy. He's like, Oh wait, the bus, bam. And he gets, you know, he, he got distracted and forget about the bus and he goes flying through the window of the bus. Like, yeah, he learns, right. He learns and through this repetition and life is full of a lot of mundane repetition. Yeah. But it's also but you got to learn Defend, how we progress. Defending your life is interesting because they have this place called the Past Lives Pavilion where you can go and look and see what you were in previous lives. And there's an element of karma in that. And it comes out that you don't want to be stuck in the same world for very many iterations. The people who are, are repeating their life on earth that aren't learning their what they're supposed to learn in this stopping over place are kind of the dumb ones. It's like, right. And they keep going. They don't, they don't seem to be going in the right direction. And so, well, that's in the the, the play, no exit. 
those those three characters are in hell and they're literally stuck in a room and they'll never get out of that room. They can never progress to a new room, a mm. new world. In in video games, you know, I use Super Mario Brothers because I think people our age are real familiar with that. We grew up either playing it or watching our dun, next door dun, neighbor dun, friend dun, play dun, it. Exactly. You, what happened when you cleared the level? You moved, you moved into a new world. It was literally called a new world. A world. Yep. You had world 1.1 and it went up to like 1.8. Yep. And then you went 2.1 all the way to 8.8. 8-8 was the final where you saved the princess. You fight Bowser. So you progressed into new worlds. And what did you save at the end? The princess? The princess. Right. So Princess Toadstool. I think <laughs> I think it was interesting that you used the term charisma a lot when talking about Phil, Bill Murray's character, as as he f- comes to his that final party scene where he's moving on, and that maybe there's a little bit of symbolism in the fact that that was a party scene right there at the end. But uh, the word charisma comes from the Greek charis meaning grace or beauty or kindness, but more appropriately it means charisma. I guess that is uh, also a Greek word meaning favor or divine gift, gift from God. So the idea is that charisma is a gift from the Lord, this light that, that now, now some people have charisma in the worldly sense you know they they seem to have magnetic personalities but people who have actual charisma that light are different and i think that if you're listening to this podcast you can probably discern how you've got sort of a worldly charisma and then an, and, a, and a real charisma in different well, people that you've encountered there's a great example of this in groundhog day phil uses the worldly charisma to seduce nancy taylor right yeah. flatters her you know, lies to her. Yeah. But in a very, you know, familiar way, like, oh, don't you remember me? I sat next to you in English class. And and it's funny because as they're making out, he keeps calling her Rita. Right. <laughs> Who? Never mind. Whatever. <laughs> but then, and then his true charisma, you see later in the film, when he has that light about him. That, yeah. And light attracts And that's what attracts all those light. people. And that is bestowed by God, favor and from God. I think it's worth pointing out that the townspeople are generally a bunch of really good people. In the beginning, he disdains them as hicks and losers. And they're actually really good people who live in this little town, and they're all just trying to get by. And they have hardships. They have broken, shattered dreams. You know, Dol- Dolores or Doris never wanted to be a waitress for 30 years. <laughs> right. You know, she started working there as a teenager and now here she is in her fifties yep. or whatever. She's, you know, but they're all trying their best to work through that loop. We're all in this, this damned loop. And I don't say that like, damn it. I say it as in it, it's a stopped loop. It's a right. loop that we have to break out of. How do we right. do that? Well, how do we do it? Well, first of all, let's say this. I, I am not a believer in reincarnation. I want to make sure that, uh, the listeners right. out there know I'm, that I, I'm sure. not I'm not lobbying for reincarnation. But we do as need a to be born philosophy. again. Philosophy, but yes, we do need to be born again. And I do think that in our eternal existence, that when we go when we leave this battleground world, we will go to new worlds, worlds without end, uh, moving through the cosmos, eternal progression, hopefully towards the throne of God, towards the the ultimate goal of becoming like the glorious firing ones. 
So, uh, what what do we do? What do we right do now? now? What in, can we in real what can life we do now? That's your question you're posing. Yeah, because I th- I I would be. You're saying people should quit their jobs. I'm saying everybody is in this sort of time loop in some way or another, and in some way or another, we're probably stuck in various phases that Phil was in. Whether it's, we're it's a, we're 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 indulging ourselves, we're depressed, we're just sta- sitting around watching TV, watching Jeopardy all day. Jeopardy is a great show, but you know what I you know what I'm saying. Everyone's stuck at some point in the in in, in different ways. We might be on several loops because there might be in some ways where you have that end game char- char- charisma. There might be others where we're in denial. Right. Or, People come from different places, so you, the first the first thing to note, I think, is to to recognize that if this is a reality that this type of progression is going on, then you came from somewhere. You came from a place. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. <laughs> and and other people came from different places. So you have mm-hmm. to have empathy and compassion and understanding that not everybody here came from the same place. And so not everybody here is engaged in the same type of an endeavor. That's interesting because, again, that is portrayed in the film. When Phil introduces An- A- Andy McDowell, Rita, to all the cafe- the diner, the people at the diner, right? Mm-hmm. So he, I think, and that's that's was part of his turning point too. Was at some point you don't always see it. He got to know all these people. It might have just right. been osmosis, just picking it up, being there for so long. <laughs> but I, at some point, it sounds like he had some real conversations with these people. I think he had to have if he was there for ten thousand iterations. What else are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you would get bored, and so you'd you'd want to learn about everybody in the town. So we should learn about the people around us, our neighbors well, and friends. What and- what is it that matters as he crosses over every day? Does it matter that he uh, had all the money that he stole from the from the armored car? Can't take it with you. Can't take it with you, right? What matters for for Phil is the relationships. That seems to be, at least for him, the one thing that does cross over. Well, there's another thing that crosses over, and that is the knowledge he acquires, right? Like his knowledge of French and French poetry. And uh, or the liter- pot, the, literature, the pothole in the gutter. Yeah, knowing not to, that that's an interesting thing you you didn't bring up here in the podcast, but there's some symbolism right there when right it, where Ned Ned Ryerson needle nose Ned Ned the head. <laughs> Bing again! You are uh, you are sharp as a tack today. <laughs> <laughs> Phil steps in the puddle and he says. Well, he starts laughing and says, watch out, that first step is a doozy. There's some symbolism to that. Right. Because Phil, in the first few iterations, Phil keeps hitting the, he keeps hitting the- He keeps stepping in that hole. The puddle. Yeah. And- and you got to learn. Ned laughs and says it's a doozy. He learns to get over that thing first. That that, right. that those first infant things that he's got to figure out. Well, and so often that first step in anything we do is a doozy. Right. And so- you know, we can we can think of this in a macro level that we're we're looping through worlds, but we also need to think of it as this loop that we're going through in our lives, right? As children, you learn to miss that pothole. When the hero's journey, that that pothole, stepping off that sidewalk, could be considered one of the crossing of the thresholds. Yeah, and he keeps failing at it, stepping in the water. And as, as long as you see him step in the water, you know that he's he's not learning anything. He's not figuring anything out. Right, which is understandable in the beginning because he's disoriented and confused, as anybody would. I think the Ned Ryerson character is also an interesting 
symbol because he's immediately confronted, right? Isn't that when he lo- he leaves the the safety of the bed and breakfast and the first thing he runs into is Ned Ryerson who wants to s- waylay him. The world, essentially, he symbolizes the world. The world wants to waylay you on your journey and get mm-hmm. you involved in something that really is irrelevant. And how does well, he? Well, it's so- especially irrelevant for a guy stuck in an eternal time loop who can't die. Right. Why would he need life insurance? Right. So how does he? How does he ultimately resolve that? He he actually just kind of makes friends with the unrighteous mammon, to borrow well, a phrase from the Doctrine and After Covenants. he punches him and ridicules him and ignores him. and But the easiest way to do it was to buy his, just go along with it. Right. But they also, there's a nice scene at the end where Ned's at the party. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, Phil. He's talking he's with Rita, right? Yeah. And, and he's like, Phil is my number one client. It's the best day of my life. He bought home, car, yeah, boat, all of it. <laughs> term, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, so where are we going? And Rita goes, oh, let's not spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> so ultimately, I think it's an acknowledgement that, yeah, there's a bunch of bull crap that you need to deal with in real life. Right. Like insurance. But you get, you buy it and you don't let it control your life. Right. And, when it, when, and, and you don't let it get in the way of what's really important. Let's not spoil it. And she, right. they walk away and Ned's like, let's not, I got that. <laughs> right, right. Like, He's stuck there. Right. I, I, The literalist part of me always, when, when I see that part of the movie, I'm like, oh man, the, this is the last day and tomorrow he's going to have to deal with all of that insurance. He's going to be spending Which all that money. Which is why you see him punching Ned in the face. <laughs> Who knows how many times he did that. Yeah, so it's like, he may have, I just think it's funny that that's his last day. He's he's loaded up on insurance Yeah, for the, for the rest of his life. Or, well, you can cancel it, of course, but... Right, you know, he has maybe what he needs to actually go on and to back into mortality. And it's a, it's a hassle. <laughs> the mortality is a hassle, right? So... There's that, but anyway, what 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 do we take away from this? What we we definitely are caught in a repetitive cycle, trying to demonstrate charisma, demonstrate grace, demonstrate light, and acquire more light. And so, th- there's a couple of things that I think are important to point out here. First of all, the questions often are, "What do I do?" Versus what do I learn, right? Mm-hmm. Generally, the idea is what do you have to do? And so for our listeners out there, I'm, I'm not saying you have to do anything. In fact, I would argue that you ought to start on the learning side of things. Like what should you learn? How can you better yourself? And then along the way, you'll decide what I should do because you know, you, you, you bring up how does this apply to us right now? And, and my question is, well, you're telling people to quit their jobs. You're telling them to live their, live their life to the fullest. When we, when we discussed Stranger Than Fiction... Will Ferrell, we kind of went through that same same idea. He has to break out of his role as an IRS auditor into somebody who actually lives a real life. Well, I would say I would say if you are in a position, if you are an IRS to auditor, quit your, quit your job, job and you do hate your job, then maybe you should right, look let's at. Let's be clear about that. If you do work for the IRS, please quit your job. But uh, and then whistle blow. <laughs> but but I I was talking with with my wife yesterday and we were talking about how people get so caught up in their own issues, their own problems. Me, 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 me again. I'm really close on this one (laughs) that we don't even realize the problems that the next door neighbor has. And then 
the neighbor down the street and the neighbor a few more houses down. And so everybody's feeling alone and isolated, wrapped up in their own troubles, feeling like nobody cares because we tend to be me-centric. That's a natural base instinct of hum- humans, of mor- mortal humans. We worry about ourselves. First, look at the world right now. Everyone's saying, you have to do this to protect me because if you do something that makes me feel unsafe, you should be punished. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the extreme end of things. But so I would say one thing you can do is to learn. Learning is doing. Uh-huh. Isn't that a Saturday morning? You can phrase? learn through. You can learn, learn about your doing. neighbors. Yeah. Go talk to people. You know, so, we've been told over and over and over to avoid people. You know, Australia is telling their people to not speak with their neighbors. Right. I would say absolutely. That's devilish. Disobey that, whether you're in Australia or not, and go talk to your neighbors. Get to know them. Figure stuff out. It doesn't have to, you don't have to immediately show up and be like Ned Ryerson and immediately want to know everything about their life and push stuff on them, but you can just say hello. So you learn about the, the nature of the reality that you're in. You learn, you learn the, the important things about life and the sciences and the arts and all those things that Phil engages in. But you also got to go out and learn about yeah. people, in the, in your, the, your, your relationships, all the folks in the town. The terminology of the Doctrine and Covenants, Phil learns from the best books. And mm-hmm. then he's able to dis- distill that knowledge and experience in the town. It makes that town a... He becomes a really positive part of his really community. Really better, you know, much better place. And so... In the process, I think you also learn about yourself. And I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about consciously. You know, who am I really? Why am I here? I've been, whether you, you know, you can look at your life and the different stations and, and phases and places you've been. But when you wake up, when Adam wakes up or when Phil wakes up, when... Roy in boss level wakes up. Waking up is a big part of the of both of those films. He finds himself at a certain point. And so if that's you right now, you've got to say, okay, why am I awake right now? Why did God put me here? Who am I? What am I supposed to learn? Who am I supposed to know? And then I think you start asking the question, what am I supposed to do? What is, a, what is my life's calling? What are, or what, what are the things I'm supposed to do right now? There's that scene in Boss Level where he is beating up the guy that, that rouses him out of bed trying to kill him. And he's like, why can't you just let me sleep in one more time? Just once. You know? <laughs> just and, once let me sleep. And it's interesting because, like you said, if Roy sleeps, he dies. Right. And we learn later that so do a lot of other people. Yeah. And Well, I, I think that it's similar to... Cipher in the Matrix being oh by one by the way one of our listeners tells us we need to dissect the Matrix that'd be good guys be that's fun. been done a lot but I think we'd have some interesting things to say so maybe maybe give us some feedback if you want to do a, a Matrix deep dive we're, we'll take we're willing to take we suggestions. need to do a free guy deep dive I know that's we got to do lots movie. of deep dives but there's a lot of movies to talk about right but it's just so much COVID crap to talk about and the same and then and, and then. Phil's got to get out of bed too to make any changes. And of course, we already talked about wake up and do something more than dream of your mansions yeah. above. How easy has it been, especially during the last 18 or so months, to wake up and 
not even get out of bed. Doesn't, you, you know, doesn't your Joseph, whole life, you don't have to be to the office. You're, you, it, I, jo- I, Joseph I would, Campbell identifies like the, the negatives for not taking the, taking up the call to yeah, action. Refusal, right? What does he call that? Refusal of the call the to action. Refusal of the call. That's a, that's a theme that occurs in all these places. And we see it in Groundhog Day. We see it in, we see its effects in boss level, especially. And you, th- that's why I brought up Cypher in the matrix. He not only, uh, doesn't want the call to action. He's he's wanting to go back in the matrix. You know, he it's not like he's right. refusing it. He's he's refusing it. Make me a movie late. star. Yeah, which makes him ultra evil. Yeah, let's let's make me an actor. Right. But somebody famous, but not too famous. Right. But uh yeah, the refusal of the call is not only I, I don't I don't know that you can actually refuse the call. That's what I'm saying. Adam has to wake up. If he doesn't, well, the, the, res, the, the results are cataclysmic. You can refuse the call, but that doesn't mean that the troubles are not going to happen. You know, Bill, Bilbo Baggins tries to refuse the call, right, in The Hobbit? Right. Well, had he stayed home, you know, the evils of, of Sauron wouldn't have gone away course they would have destroyed the shire eventually would somebody else have just you know gotten the ring and passed it on and you're talking about frodo or bilbo well bilbo initially goes on the journey because that's a a good question if he hadn't if he hadn't found the ring would somebody else have would yeah eventually sauron but if you but if frodo hadn't gone yeah if, if if frodo had refused the call or they you know they have the council where they're talking about who's going to go destroy the ring and they're arguing about it. And that's when mm-hmm. Frodo, that's the call for Frodo, the real call. I'll go. And he here, says, here am I'll go. Here I'll am I. go. Right. Too many people, too many of us are sitting around going, somebody else will stand up and go. Somebody else can do it. The experts can do it. The The government can do it. The The church leaders can do it. Too many people are are refusing the call right now, here here and now in our day, in our current awful situation. You have to, you if you are hearing the call, you have to answer it, and you and you either reject it or accept it. But it, if you reject it, that doesn't mean that automatically somebody else is going to pick it up. And so then that, in Roy's case, it leads to the destruction of the world when he refuses the call. Right. Well, I'm not saying that the world's going to be destroyed if you refuse the call, but it might be. (laughs) (laughs) You, dear listener, might be the hero we all need. But we all, we've said this over and over, we all have roles to play. We all have a hero's journey in our own sphere of influence of our own, even our own homes. You got to be that badass dad. Right. And the question is really, have you changed your mind? Is your mind really changed? If you decide to go back in the matrix then your mind's not really changed. But if you do change, if you do repent, that means that your actions will change. And that's that's difficult. You're, each person's going to have to figure out what that means in their lives, but things definitely need to change. And that's, I think, why a lot of people are scared of truth. When, when you try to share truth with them, when you know try to share conspiracy facts with people, they're, they're scared of it because they know that if they believe what you believe their life actually has to change they would have to do different things because they would really believe it and therefore they wouldn't act how they're acting and then they would end up in a totally different sphere outside of their comfort zone and again 
one of the things we're expert at here is trying to avoid pain and inconvenience. And that's a big part of life with these motivating factors of what we're doing in life. We're mortal people. Uh, You cannot avoid those things. You can't. It just like refusing the call doesn't mean that you can't, that all of this evil goes away. Okay. If Frodo, if Frodo stays in Riven, Rivendell, the home of the elf of the, the elves, yeah, Elrond. Elrond's house. If you know, that's a pretty idyllic, safe place. He could have stayed there. Does Sauron was still gonna march with his enemies? Like you, you can't put off pain and discomfort, and you, you can't, you can't avoid getting sick by staying in your home all the time. You might be able to put it off, but it's no way to live. Refusing the call is no way to live, and avoiding death is no way to live life. Yeah, you're not you're not going to get out of it. Now you can be wise. You can try to avoid certain types of pain, but well, of course, a but lot of there's a there's a difference, you know, between there's a difference between kidnapping the groundhog, getting in the truck, and driving off of the quarry cliff and blowing up and dying, and learning how to play the piano or become an ice sculptor or doing something that makes you uncomfortable. Right? There's recklessness, and then there's just moving on you know we we aggrandize we 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 uh, we celebrate this this weakling this weak personality instead of celebrating people who overcome those things that make us not want to do great things like anxiety or depression or physical and mental uh disabilities or ailments we're moving into this weird place in our culture where we say you have this you have anxiety you have whatever you need to embrace that and make sure that you don't do anything that would make you uncomfortable because you're that makes you anxious and that's the last thing we could want it's like why are we celebrating that why aren't we encouraging people to work and live through and live with these things because right. they, they're real i'm not saying these things aren't real i well, that's i the, know very well how real those some of those things are but i also know that they will rob you of everything good in your life. You will end up sitting on the couch with old people answering questions to Jeopardy reruns, <laughs> so to speak, while the rest of the world goes on and learns how to play the piano and entertains people and does ice sculpture. Well, see, I don't, I don't, I would argue that the rest of the world doesn't. It's only the, it's well, only the, the heroes. People who in, the people who embrace that call is what and, that, and that's what's that's what's crazy the, the straight is the gate narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it because broad is the path and wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many there be that enter therein those statements in the new testament are sort of depressing because it sounds like there's only a few that really that really but, wake up but it doesn't mean it's some kind of lottery in that your chances of being one of those few are slim no, you the can issue is choose what, it's what you want one of those few right and i'd love to get some feedback from from listeners on this the you know give me give poke holes in my theory here but my my feeling is that there are really only two main motivators in this world especially in like marketing or whatever you can see that they they always use fear to to motivate you and that do you have any recent examples <laughs> well <laughs> no no we don't okay fear yeah fear, fear is one fear, so my, my 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 thesis here is that or my theory is that th- there's two main motivating factors fear and love and most of what we experience is based on fear 
and you'll you'll see that uh, in psychological circles they talk about motivating factors as pain avoidance versus reward seeking, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a little bit of a different conversation because we can be motivated by pain or pleasure. And I would argue that in some cases the pleasure seeking is still a fear factor. It's a it's a fear motivation. You fear not having that, so therefore you seek the pleasure. When you really do something altruistically, it's because you do it out of love or out of purity, right? Right. So pain avoidance is I think what you're talking about. It's it's you're not going to the po- the point you're trying to make Bobby is that you can't avoid the pain. You're going to get the pain anyway. Right. Even when Phil We might as well wake up. Phil turns a corner, right? And he's trying to do good in the town and he still he still goes through the pain of losing the old man interestingly he calls pop and father and dad. And he still loses him every day. Yeah. He still goes through that pain and who knows what else, right? I'm sure there was a lot of pain involved in getting slapped. And I don't mean the pain of the slap, but, you know, he basically fails with Rita over and over and over. And I'm sure that hurt. He, he, even when he was, again, trying to do it more with more purity, he kind of goes in degrees, but you will never, you'll never escape that. But when, when, he, when he then changes his motivation and he's now motivated by love and uh, purity, that is when the movie stops focusing on that, right? It beca- it doesn't become a problem. You, it's just, okay, yeah, he gets bumped into every once in a while, but it's, it's, n- it's a non-issue, right? right? Well, and I think the only, the only, maybe the, not the only, but maybe one of the best ways to deal with the pains of mortal life is to make sure you're surrounded by people that you have good relationships with people that care about you and that you care about. And because it's, it's being a, being a jackass jerk is no way to live. And that will always, you know, come back to bite you because when you need somebody, you're never going to realize you have nobody. You know, when, when Phil first figures out he's got a problem, it's like the only person he can go to is this person he's just met. Rita. He can't go to Larry because he's treated Larry like a jerk and he knows Larry will just be a jerk back. Oh, really, Phil? You're in a time loop? Oh, okay, drunkard. Okay. You know, yeah. he even they even say, wow, he's 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 drinking. He's right. So so, know, so take, Larry's not really any help either. Right. Taking care of and, and attempting to love other people is critical. How does he end up loving them though? It's through knowledge, right? He has to learn about them. That, knowledge and that's and, what brings and, and service. And that's what brings him to love them is right. that he knows them. So I, I argue that knowledge and love are very interrelated because you got to have the knowledge in order to have that actual right. love and compassion and understanding. And I think that there's another another thing that we've we haven't said it this way, but that is explored in the movie. And that is the idea is, is this, is ignorance really bliss? Because, you know, when he, when he just remains ignorant and he's not focusing on his, on his progression, he's, he's depressed. He's sad. He wants to kill himself. Ignorance is just ignorance. Ignorance is just ignorance. And so for us, for us to learn the reality, and this is, this is why the censorship that's going on right now is so incredibly bad. Right. Because, 
ignorance is not bliss and groupthink is not bliss and it does not lead to a good outcome for our society. We need to be exploring the other side. And that's, that's one of the biggest things in the last 18 months that has come under attack is truth. It's, it's, uh, that scientific debate, just intellectual political debate is being shut down. Well, it's interesting that a false wisdom is the one that's attacking truth. This establishment, the consensus, the scientific consensus is the, is is the may a major player in the attack and the war on truth. Right, and in in Boss Level and in Groundhog Day, and in Palm Springs, our protagonist men all encounter false wisdoms. They all have this desire to copulate mm-hmm. with the false wisdom. Right, that leads them nowhere it gets them stuck it it hurts them it is better to pass through pain and sorrow that we may know the good right (laughs) ignorance is not bliss and mortality is not free of problems and pain but it is better that we pass through those things that's how you learn and i think how you gain knowledge i think that the truth and the knowledge is what then helps people to overcome even though you still experience pain and you still experience the mortal world it has no effect on you it cleanses you from the the error from the from the evil when you gain real knowledge when you gain truth and when you gain wisdom that is what that's what makes it bearable and allows you to move ahead we've we've talked about it though in the past how the acquisition of knowledge is the beginning of sorrow too Quoting Ecclesiastes chapter one, <laughs> right? Well, so, it's once you wake up, it, it's uh, it can be a painful, I th- I think the emo- lonely existence. I, I think the emotions become more poignant. It becomes it becomes difficult. But if as we reconcile with this, as we find out what our mission is and find out from God what we're supposed to be doing, that then brings, I guess, real happiness, real peace. It is the peace that makes in or the hope that makes an anchor to men's souls, as uh, Moroni says in Ether chapter 12. Go watch Groundhog Day. It's a great movie. Yeah, I think we've kind of uh, run out of steam here. What What are we missing? Anything here? That That is a... It's, it's a really great... It's funny. Great movie. It's a great uh, family film. But Think about it. you got to think about the time loop. Uh, there's some really interesting, profound truth in... Groundhog Day. And I don't know, going back, you know, time is a flat circle, right? Going full circle. I don't know if Danny Rubin and Harold Ramis knew what they were doing or if the muse was working through them. Who knows, right? Maybe a little bit of both. Kind of think, yeah, I kind of think a little bit of both. I think that uh, the muse played a big part in this. But, and I think the muse plays a big part in a lot of this stuff, a lot of the, the books and movies and music that we find meaning in and i think sometimes we we find meaning as an audience that the the creator of the piece never intended i i've seen quotes and things yeah. where you know i've even written things where people say oh did you know this this and this i said i, I never and I never see, meant i think it that's that way. i think that's the muse but when the when when it's resonant with the creator and with and they know that it's going to be resonant with their audience that's when it i think ends up on the paper or in right. the movie. Now, granted, there's a lot of garbage media out there, but well, yeah, the muse. There's counterfeit. It's counterfeit, and 
the the great thing about Groundhog Day is it teaches us that it teaches us the dangers and I guess the the shortcomings of living a counterfeit existence, a counterfeit life. That Phil in the beginning is living a counterfeit life. Everything around him is 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 fake. He's he his relationships are fake. His uh, his job he's he's he doesn't want to be at that job, right? He wants to be at a different job. He wants to be at a better job or what he perceives to be a better job. Everything is counterfeit. And his prog- his progression and his progress is how he learns that how to live a real life. And that's what we all are trying to do, right? We're, we're, left, our, we're left with the our mort- dilemma. Mor- mortality is a bit of a counterfeit, right? It's, a, it's an imitation mm-hmm. of, of our true natures and our eternal lives. Right. We, we can, we can just go along with it, you know, seek pain avoidance and, and seek whatever pleasures we can get here, or we can get off the potter's will as they say in the scriptures. Well, thanks everybody. We've gone on long enough. Um, but go watch that movie, go watch Groundhog Day. And again, we'd love to hear feedback and, uh, yeah, escape that, escape the time loop. Or at least use it to progress and to learn. Yeah. Well, I I think if you're listening to this podcast, you are the resistance. No. Uh, if you're listening, you're a special type of person. <laughs> the, we we have covered all kinds of, I think, interesting subjects. Subjects that might be considered crazy to the mainstream. But... I do think if you're listening to this, you're a special type of person, and I hope that you will try to get in touch with your creator, with God, with the universe, however you see it, and determine what what your role is in your fight for truth, in your fight for freedom, liberty, and in your fight for mankind, and, and the continuation of goodness as darkness is trying to envelop the world right now. I really hope that you'll take that to heart and carefully, thoughtfully, using discernment, understand what you can do differently. Because this, the point is change. We've got to change. We have to be better. And we can either level up or we can just gravitate right into the to the chair and, and watch Jeopardy. That first step doesn't have to be a doozy. It might be as simple as buying coffee for your coworkers. Yep. Well, on that note, Bobby, thanks for giving us your uh, expert insight. I didn't give any expert anything. I've, I enjoy these discussions. Expert, that word expert I, is a slur now. You I'm know? glad that <laughs> yeah, there are experts and then there are experts. I'm glad that we were able to get off the potter's wheel of COVID and on to Groundhog's Day. And maybe next week we can do the same and, and have some more interesting discussions instead of having to lament incredible well, insanity the best way to get off that potter's wheel of that now. time loop of COVID is to just start not playing by their rules anymore <laughs> that's right alright everybody have a great week and we will talk to you soon take care <laughs>